do you, I was trying to explain the podcast that we did about the notes that the uh, the guy who did the reboot gave to the Sony. Oh, the Sony emails. Yeah. 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 I, I was trying to explain that to Jess. I'm like, everything that was in the Sony emails that we like basically ripped apart happened in the reboot. Yes. And then we were like, well, that was disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> what kills me too is I went to look. I was like, wait a minute. Is that podcast still up? It's not. It's so old. It's not in the rotation anymore. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I think I was in my mom's basement when we did that one. <laughs> That's the sign of how old it was. I was still yeah, in the basement. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to try to remember to bring that up. And then uh, I was even thinking like, oh, okay, so where where is our review for the 2016 Ghostbusters? Because we talked about that on the show. We did. And we did it with Steph, I believe. Yes. I think it was the three yeah, of that's us. That's the only time I think I've ever done a podcast with Steph on there. <laughs> I want to say I gave it a six. I I didn't go back and listen because again that one's not in the rotation anymore. So I'd have to go right, through like right. my master file and try to listen, which I didn't do. But yeah, like I was gonna bring up when we did. What, I know what episode number it is, but it's not like uh, I thought it was in like the fifties. Yeah, fifty-eight, and. When I looked at Anchor, they go back to like the 80s or 70s or something like that. So it's like okay. way past. Yeah, because that that was one of the first podcasts that I did when I, after I moved into Rhodes's attic. <laughs> you went from the basement to the attic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moving on up in the world. <laughs> the highs and the lows, <laughs> hills and the valleys. <laughs> like I can chart your life based on what parts of the house you were living in. I'm surprised you didn't live in the closet under the stairs. Doing. <laughs> <laughs> go straight harry potter yeah <laughs> my brother has a closet under the stairs i probably could have lived there. well there you go that's your next place <laughs> jess ever kicks you out you know where you're going yeah <laughs> opens the door and i'm just like my precious <laughs> <laughs> that's a different movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Bry Guy and his Super Friends. I'm your host, Brian Libick. Joining me for this episode is someone who has been roasting the mini puffs by the fire all weekend, Andy Stoles. What's up, podcast people? And next up, we got someone who will pet all the dogs, even when they're demons, Josh Zorch. It doesn't matter. They're all fur babies. <laughs> Do they have fur? I don't think they have fur. I mean, even if it was like one of the, are they even like, are they Egyptian cats or like the naked cats that have no fur? Oh, okay. Is that the type? Yeah, there, there's like a the the dog from Coco actually is like that as well. Yeah, Coco, good but pull. That's okay, yeah, Mexi yeah. The, the Mexican chigargolo dog. <laughs> sure, yeah, we'll go with that. That sounds right. Yeah. The the one where it sounds like you're gargling water. <laughs> Pronounced it perfectly. Yeah. Saying uh, words with Brian, Andy, and Josh. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> as long as someone else screws up the pronunciation of something, like I do that all the time, so I'm glad when someone you else just does it. tripped over pronunci pronouncing See? pronunciation. And I'm just gonna keep rolling because that's how I <laughs> how I have to do this. Because if I dwell on it, it's just gonna get worse. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're back after t taking some time off for Thanksgiving. So I hope everyone listening had a good holiday. Um, you guys, you know, Andy, Josh, you guys have a good Thanksgiving. Absolutely, thank you. Oh yes, very. 
Nice. Glad Stuffed to hear it. full of turkey. Awesome. Uh, all right. So something that uh, released right before Thanksgiving, it's been sitting on most of our most anticipated lists, was Ghostbusters Afterlife. So this movie has finally come out, and we can finally talk about it. Uh, this was a movie that was originally meant to release in the summer of 2020, uh, and then COVID happened. It was continually delayed until November 19th, 2021. Uh, since it was due out in 2020, we actually did an episode about our most anticipated movies for 2020. The majority of our lists that have been released, but you know, this, the stuff that hit our list has been released, most of it. But there's still a few holdouts that have not been released from our lists from 2020. Afterlife was on that list, and I dare to say it was collectively probably the most anticipated movie between all of us, and the four of us that were on that episode, me, Andy, Josh, and Mike, were there. Uh, Mike had it as number one, Andy had it as number one, I had it as number one, Josh's it came in at number four. Correct. But still, three out of four of us, this was the most anticipated movie of that year. Three so out it of is, four it is up there. Bad. Um, and if you've listened to the show before, I think I don't really think it's a secret that you know the Ghostbusters franchise is something that's near and dear to my heart. It's something I grew up with. I have much appreciated those first two movies much more as an adult. I think as an adult, I may have uh, also impulsively ordered a replica proton pack that is slated to arrive sometime <laughs> in the spring of 2023. Uh, so I, I'll keep promoting it too for anyone that's interested in that. Like by the time this episode drops, there's probably about a week left. To, to get in on that action. So uh, check out uh, the HasLab uh, Plasma Series Spangler Proton Pack. It's fucking amazing. And you should you should probably get it so that they meet their crowdfunding goals because it's awesome. Um, so anyway, now that uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife is out, it got me thinking about how we got here because uh, Ghostbusters, I guess, to me, always felt like a no-brainer for a franchise. Um, Ghostbusters 1 made $297 million back in 1984. Damn. Ghostbusters 2 made $215 million in 1989. And I think even though those movies did very well at the box office, the second sequel kind of just stalled out. So Ghostbusters 3 has always been one of those movies that just, just kind of get stuck in development hell for years. Uh, rumors for the movie go back to late 1996. Harold Ramis confirms that Dan Aykroyd is working on a script that would introduce a younger cast. Uh... In 1999, Ackroyd talks a bit about the pitch for the movie. Uh, this version of the movie had a subtitle. I don't know how well you guys sort of followed Ghostbusters 3 rumors and stuff like that, but does anyone remember what this movie was supposedly called back in 1999? I do not. Ghostbusters Live. No, no, Go no. Ghostbusters Triumphant. <laughs> uh, it was Ghostbusters Hellbent was the oh. subtitle. Okay. Um... Nothing happened, I guess, with this version of the script. Rumors were that rights issues and Bill Murray were preventing the movie from ever being greenlit. Uh, Ackroyd didn't really give any plots of the movie until 2007, when he said it's a story that involves the Ghostbusters going to hell. Somehow they create a way to phase into another dimension, but when they go to hell, it's just the shittier version of Manhattan, which they were <laughs> calling Manhelton. And there they would face off against Lou Siffler, which, if you pronounce it quickly enough, is Lucifer. So this would be, as Ackroyd quoted, a Donald Trump-like character <laughs> that would basically be the devil, is who they would face off with in the movie. And he I'm also so adds that he expected the movie to be made in CGI since Bill Murray wouldn't do live action. 
and I'm sorry, so that he he made these comments in 2007. So he wrote a movie in the late 90s. Right. And th- but he but didn't talk about what about that it. movie was until the mid-2000s. Got it. Okay. So even back then, Donald Trump was Satan. I want that on record. <laughs> Uh, so at the end of 2007, it was announced that uh, we'd be getting a Ghostbusters video game. So not only that, but the game would see the return of the original cast to voice their characters in the game. The game didn't actually release for another two years, so it came out 2009. Uh, the setting for this game took place in 1991, which was two years after Ghostbusters 2. And had the Ghostbusters hire a new recruit, which was the player character. That's who you played as. Uh, the character is a nameless recruit uh, because as the video game states from Vankman. Uh, he doesn't want to get too attached to this character in case some of their prototype weapons malfunction and ultimately blow this guy up. <laughs> so they also didn't give the character any speaking lines. So they didn't want to ruin the chemistry and banter between the original four guys. So they, if you, if you play the game, the banter and dialogue between these guys just feels like you're in a Ghostbusters movie and it's fantastic. Uh, the story of the game involves the ghost realm breaking through into our world with the help of Evo Shandor which maybe we'll touch a little bit of that later. Uh, essentially, this was Ghostbusters 3. Like, the little bit that Ackroyd teased for the script for Ghostbusters 3, the similarities between that script and what this game does, I think it's probably repurposed for the game. Just my guess. I'm, I'm extrapolating, extrapolating a little bit there, but I think from what was teased and what never happened, they kind of tried to put it a little bit into the game since we were never going to get that movie. This was, at the time, the closest we were going to get to Ghostbusters 3. Um, if you haven't played this game yet, it's excellent. It was recently remastered for Xbox One, PS4, Nintendo Switch, and PC. That version released that, yeah. in 2019. Which, I think it was... I can't. It might have been last Halloween, I think. For anyone that actually watches me on Twitch, I actually streamed that whole game on Twitch last Halloween. Because uh, that was like... I didn't want to play anything really scary. And I really well, liked that game. So you didn't, you didn't cross it, did you? Cross the streams? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I did not. It was a single stream. That. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So the game, again, came out in 2009 originally, followed closely to what could probably be considered Ghostbusters Hellbent. From 2007 to 2014, there are numerous rumors and dead ends about a Ghostbusters sequel. Uh, Sigourney Weaver has started to be asked at this time if she's going to be in it. Uh, she doesn't know, but she continually says it would be nice if her character's son, Oscar, was now a Ghostbuster. Which, I actually still really like that idea. I think that'd be a fun way to tie in Ghostbusters 2 to the ongoing franchise. Um, I don't know if it was the same script the whole time, or if there were different versions of the movie being developed at the same time. But Ackroyd had gone through different versions of a script. Uh, Gene Sputnitsky and Lee Eisenberg, who wrote some of the office and they were coming off of writing year one for director Harold Ramis Ooh, uh, apparently had a script floating around as well. It seemed that Ackroyd and Ramis were pushing the Sputnitsky and the Eisenberg script, but the main holdout Bill Murray wouldn't read the script in 2010. Bill Murray said he'd do the movie if they killed him off in the first reel. I still don't know if that he was joking or not by 2012. It seems pretty clear that Bill Murray was not going to do the movie. Around that time, Ackroyd started saying that there's a version of the script with Bill, and there's a version of the script without Bill, and it seemed like they were going to start going for the latter if they wanted to make the movie. 
Everyone from Ben Stiller, Seth Rogen, Anna Faris, Emma Stone, Jonah Hill, Bill Hader, Kristen Bell, Michael Sarah, and Jack Black were all rumored to be possible Ghostbusters in the span of that time frame. Those seven years, those guys were bounced around all over the place. And then, February of 2014, Harold Ramis passes away. Uh, shortly after that, Ivan Reitman says he will not direct Ghostbusters 3 if it ever happens. It's too difficult for him to work on that film with Ramis gone. Uh, Sony, I think, still wants to make the movie. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller and Ruben Fleischer were all possible replacements for Reitman at one point or another. None of those panned out. At the end of 2014, Sony Pictures was the victim of a hack attack, and numerous company emails were shared to the internet. So among them was communication between director Paul Feig, coming off of Bridesmaids, The Heat, and Spy, and Amy Pascal, who at the time I think was the head of Sony Pictures, who you may recognize is the name of a Sony producer involved in the Spider-Man movies that have been coming around. Uh, and Paul Feig in the emails is pitching the idea of an all-female Ghostbusters movie. And suddenly the conversation shifts from a sequel to a reboot. Uh, and another thing that happened in these emails, and probably one that I sort of forgot about, but as I was starting to tinker with some of the research kind of popped back in my brain because I remember reading this and thinking I wanted it. Uh, but among those emails was communication be from Channing Tatum to Amy Pascal, where he pitches that he wants to make a Ghostbusters movie with, and I quote, all the glory and epicness of a huge Batman Begins movie. Hmm. I don't know what the comparison there is, but he's, he's really pushing for this. It was then announced that another Ghostbusters movie was being developed with the Russo brothers to direct with a script from Drew Pierce, and it would star Channing Tatum and Chris Pratt. That was supposedly wow. going to happen. I remember hearing those two names, but then that was also like at the same time they were talking about Channing Tatum with like the, what was it, like the 21 Jump Street and Men in Black crossover? I think that came after, but so there, was yes. a, there was a lot of Channing around that time. Yes. The Gambit movie, I think, with him was oh, somewhere yeah, yeah. floating around in there too. Um... So this movie, the 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 Tatum, the Channing Tatum and Chris Pratt Ghostbusters was said to coexist with Paul Feig's all female Ghostbusters movie. They were going to try to do them simultaneously, uh, except that the Ta Tatum and Pratt movie is just basically silently scrapped. Sony shifts all their attention to Paul Feig's movie. So they're moving forward with the rebooted all female Ghostbusters. First trailer for that movie is released in 2016 and was hit with a flood of dislikes. So this video had probably about twice as many dislikes to likes. Uh, and yes, that's just a lot of the shittier part of the internet rearing its head. Uh, but the reaction to the movie, even before it was released was not positive. Uh, I did try to look for an updated number, but YouTube has changed the way they keep dislikes on their movie where it just says dislike and does not keep a tally. So I don't know how many dislikes this video currently has because it's not there anymore. Uh, the 2016 Ghostbusters had a budget <clears throat> of $144 million. It made a domestic box office of $128 million, International 101. So it ended its worldwide total at $229 million, which puts it on par with the first two movies. Um, I don't remember if I looked up what the budget was for those movies, but considering this budget was probably at least three to four times more than what the original movies were i don't know if that's the yeah, kind of stuff that it, it had to be i mean hundred million dollar movies just didn't literally exist 
if in I the 80s. if this is me pulling a number out of my ass, but I feel like from watching behind the scenes stuff for the original Ghostbusters movie, I want to say that movie was done for under twenty million dollars, closer to ten to fifteen range in there somewhere. Wouldn't surprise me. And uh, if the if the uh, if the box office for the two, I mean, if I remember the numbers, the twenty sixteen actually made less than either of the other two, right? Yeah, and I guess. The- and that's not accounting for adjusting the 1980s dollars. Right. Yeah, so if you adjust for inflation from the 80s for what they made, which was around, you know, the first one was almost $300 million, the second one was 220 ish uh, So adjusted for inflation, that's got to be more money. And the budgets were less, so there's more of a profit for Sony. So, you know, if if the budget for the 2016 Ghostbusters is $144 million and they in the pulled in a worldwide total of 229 million. This thing didn't even make a hundred million dollars for Sony. Yeah. And that's not counting. If that 144 doesn't include the marketing budget, right. They actually might've lost on it. Right. Uh, ratings for the movie. Currently, this is the 2016 version. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has a critic rating of 74% audience rating of 49%. Uh, Metacritic has a meta score of 60 and a user score of 2.8. Um, Andy, I know you have seen the 26 Ghostb- 2016 Ghostbusters because you and I actually talked about it on the show yep. when this released. Yep. Um, Josh, I'm assuming you've seen it, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, we saw it a few months, like right when it hit, you know, DVD rental or Redbox or something. We didn't make it out to the theater at the time. We didn't skip it on purpose. We just didn't yeah. get there. Um, we saw it once and then... I think we watched it again sometime last year during quarantine. Uh, just to sort of revisit it, like what briefly, Andy, what did you think of the 2016 Ghostbusters? Um, I didn't, I didn't hate it, and I thought the actresses did a pretty good job. But overall, I thought the writing was more in line with like uh, SNL sort of humor that I think sort of missed the mark as what. I would have expected um, a Ghostbusters movies, Ghostbusters movie to hit. Okay, and I didn't. I did not appreciate that they like tried to erase everything and and start anew. So. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, um, we. So I looked it up because I was trying to figure out what episode we did this on. I think it was episode number fifty-eight when we actually talked about the twenty sixteen Ghostbusters. Um, if you're looking for that episode, I don't think it's in the rotation anymore because the podcast only keeps like wherever you're listening, they usually like keep so many episodes on queue. I think it's deep enough in our back catalog now that it's just kind of gone. So you can't really go back and listen to it. Um, but yeah, I think like, I, I don't remember liking it. I tried to give it the benefit of the doubt. I think what Andy had just said is, was my biggest hangup was more that it was not connected to the originals. I didn't need a reboot. And that was the the biggest hurdle for me. I saw no reason. My problem was never with the cast. Like if they want to make them all females, more power to them. Yes, let's do that. But I didn't think there was any reason why they couldn't have the OG guys pass the torch to an all female cast, like in that same universe. I didn't, I didn't understand the reboot thing. I didn't think they did enough stuff different with the reboot to justify it. Yeah. Or even just, you know, like New York and then just have like a hub in like Seattle or San Francisco or somewhere else across the nation. I, I think so, they one thing that we'll get into with Afterlife that would have worked well for that story is you could have had the same thing this or one of the same bases, which is it's twenty five to thirty years later 
And even though it's the same city, you now have these adults who might have been kids. They might have, right. you know, they they might have been the kids at the birthday party that oh, yeah. Ray and Winston go to in Ghostbusters oh, too, right? Like, man, like, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they they would have been, they could have been that age. But by this point, it's almost passed into lore, and there's been so much right. doubt cast by generations of parents and media and all this stuff. So you could have had a a problem arise like afterlife and other people have to learn on their own by maybe discovering and doing research because they you could have kept them as educated people and intellectuals yeah getting them from a to b would not have been that difficult i i agree that the the foundation of it could have been strengthened by a continuation instead of completely starting over right I mean, I still think there's there's a section of the the internet that still would have just been completely against it because of the the female cast because that's the way the internet works. Right, but, just assholes be assholes. Right. Right. I think there was I think there was a definitely a section that didn't want to see the movie because it was a reboot. They weren't as vocal about it, I don't think, or maybe were overshadowed by everybody just screaming about the female cast members. But mm-hmm. I definitely think keeping it in universe and in canon would have helped that movie regardless of what the cast was. Um. Josh, I don't know if we really talked, but what did you think of the 2016 movie? Do you have any other notes for that one? Um, I guess just, I I think we probably watched, I said maybe twice in my life, four years apart. Um, The second time around last year, I I, kind of remember Sarah and I saying like, it wasn't as bad as we remember it feeling like four years prior. But I agree with Andy's characterization of it that you i feel like they wrote they wrote for the actresses not the characters right oh yeah 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 Kristen wig is brilliant melissa mccarthy is brilliant holy shit kate mckinnon is brilliant leslie jones is great they, they all have like these amazing strengths and the one who stood out the most was chris hemsworth yes yeah because they wrote a character and everybody else they wrote to Kristen Wiig and Leslie Jones. How, how you know, how can they best, you know, oh, Kristen Wiig can be the awkward forever romantic. Yeah. And, okay, you're smart too. Go play that. It, it, that's all they did. So I think it was a failure of writing for, for that. But overall, I don't think it's as bad. It's not as strong as it needs to be and as it as it easily could could be. But I I think it's a it's probably ten to fifteen percent better than most people will say it is. I will agree, because I have watched it since then. Like I've watched it a couple other times. I mean, just being a Ghostbusters fan, like I will still sit and watch it even if I don't like it. Um but I agree. I think it, it plays better with repeat viewings, maybe. And maybe that's just because I know what it is now. Um but I guess I still don't really think it's funny. Like, I don't know. Most of the jokes I don't think land for me, um, but it does have some redeeming factors. I think the opening five minutes of that movie, like the cold open with, uh, of course, now I can't think of his name, but the the guy that's given the tour in the mansion, I think hmm. the cold open for that movie is pitch perfect to Ghostbusters. Like the first, the opening of that movie, I'm like, okay, they're going to get this right. And then it kind of goes downhill from there for me, but it 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 does some stuff right. Mm-hmm. I will say that. So I, you know, worst comes to worst. If you are curious about it, I'm not going to tell you not to watch it. I would say check it out for yourself, see what you think. 
Um, but it's it is. I mean, out of all these movies, it is definitely my least favorite, but still not yeah, terrible. It's, it's it's rank four for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So after the 2016 Ghostbusters movie, uh, it pretty much seemed like the franchise was dead. The movie didn't. There was no talk of any other sequels to either the original cast or the reboot. The conversation just kind of faded. Uh, and then, really seemingly out of nowhere to me, uh, a Ghostbusters teaser trailer hits the internet in January of 2019. So this was a video that's under a minute long. It shows a farm at night, slow pans to a barn. There's some classic Ghostbusters sound effects and score playing in the background. It stops at an object covered with a tarp. And as the music swells, we see the back of Ecto-1 and the teaser cuts and says summer 2020. Now, I've just recently put this trailer up on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, I just put it up there again, because as I was writing this, I remembered that trailer and watched it again, and it still gives me goosebumps. Like, this, to me, was such a surprise, and I had to check, like, five different times to make sure I wasn't watching somebody's fan film trailer, (laughs) that this was an actual thing that was going to happen. Like, I lost my shit. This was, this is a total shock. Like, I... Yeah. I, do you guys remember this trailer? I know I put it up there, yep. so you might have watched it recently. But do you remember seeing this? Was this a surprise to you guys? Yes. Oh, yeah. I hadn't heard anything about development for it. And usually, you know, especially now that we're on the podcast, you hear this stuff before you see the trailer. Right. Like, like, oh, like this person's grabbing the script for a Ghostbusters movie. Like, let's see it, you know. And this one I felt like was really under the radar until like all of a sudden we were like, what was that? Like, like, yeah, it, it blew my mind. The fact that they could keep it that much of a surprise, like, that it literally debuted with the trailer, and then you find out that it's a proper sequel, that it is it is actually in canon, following Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2, uh, that it was due out at that point, a year and a half later, eventually almost three years, thanks to COVID, uh, and that it was going to be directed by Jason Reitman, who was OG director Ivan Reitman's son. This all seemed way too good to be true, and I was waiting for the carpet to, like, get pulled out from under me at any moment, just because I've had my dreams dashed before. Um, and even the flowers just... are still <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, even with all the delays, too, like, it just seemed like we were never going to get there. Like, the movie was meant to release July 10th, 2020. Then it was pushed to March 5th, 2021. And then with the pandemic ongoing, it was pushed again to June 11th, 2021, and then again to November 11th, 2021, finally pushed one week later to November 19th, 2021, and here we are. So, I don't know what the budget for Afterlife was. I tried looking. It's not listed yet. Uh, It had a domestic opening weekend of $44 million. Domestic total so far is $89 million after two weeks. Uh, Internationally, it hasn't done all that great, $28 million. I don't know what kind of international audience Ghostbusters has, so that really doesn't surprise me. Uh, that brings the worldwide total so far to $117 million, which I think is pretty good, all things considered. Uh, ratings for it right now, Rotten Tomatoes has a critic rating of 63%, audience rating at 95%. Which, if you've seen any of the promotions recently, they ain't really giving you shit about what the critics say. They are putting that audience rating front and center on every promotion and commercial they are doing right now. Uh, Metascore for Metacritic is 45, user score 8.3. So that falls in line with what Rotten Tomatoes do. The critics are fine with it. Audiences seem to love it. Uh, As I said, the movie is directed by Jason Reitman. The movie is written by Jason Reitman and Gil Kennan. 
Uh, the movie stars McKenna Grace as Phoebe, Finn Wolfhard as Trevor, Logan Kim as Podcast, Carrie Coon as Callie, Paul Rudd as Mr. Gruberson, uh, Celeste O'Connor as Lucky, and yes, we get some OG cast in there with Bill Murray back as Pete Vankman, Dan Aykroyd as Race Dance, Ernie Hudson's Winston Zetmore, and Annie Potts as Janine Mellitz. So before we get into our main discussion and into spoilers, uh, Josh, give us some general thoughts for the movie. Um... <clears throat> I think the strongest parts of this movie and why I think people actually like it, even if they don't realize it, has nothing to do with certain, like, half of the aspects of the third act. And when we get to the next section, I'll specify which of those halves. Uh, basically, you're, you're, you're antagonist. You, you don't need the antagonist of this movie. Yeah. Um, you and I sort of had this conversation yeah. like before we talked about this, but yeah, so I know where you're going. Um, so overall, I think the first and second act, the reason that it's so good is because you become attached to the kids. And sure. I don't even know if it's the fact that the, I, it's not really the fact that they happen to be kids. The actors they selected for the roles that they wrote were really good. Yeah. And they could have been teenagers. They could have been adults. They happened to choose to write for kids and they selected really smart teenage actors for, for that. Um, that's the part that I like the best about it was all of that. And I, 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 I would say that sort of Channing Tatum's idea of it feeling like Batman begins. <laughs> it almost does. Like it feels like Batman year two, like with whoever takes up the next Batman mantle, it, 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 it takes that like just really grounded step-by-step -step approach to re the people who have no reason to know anything, having to learn it all as they go. Right. That's what I enjoyed watching. There's parts of the, story choices that i think could have if they if they made different decisions could have strengthened it not that they not that what they selected was bad per se i just don't know why they did what they did in some cases but overall um as i think i said to you the other day the one word i would use for this movie is or a phrase highly watchable there's nothing yeah. about this. Like you could come in at the beginning, halfway through, last ten minutes, and you would always stop and watch whatever's left. Yeah, it, it's it's really easy to get into. Uh, Andy, general thoughts. What do you think? Um. Uh, honestly, uh, I I I was really excited about this movie, but hesitant to sort of like hedge my. Uh, expectations. Well, you don't want to get burned, just, right? You don't want to right, get right. Yeah, I don't. I didn't want to. I don't want to be like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and then be like, <laughs> that way. That was it. Like credits roll, and I'm just kind of like in the movie theater, like the fuck. Yeah, you know, I didn't want that to happen. So, um, looking at you, I, Rise I of think, Skywalker. I think it hit. I hit. It hit absolutely everywhere it needed to hit for me. Um. It's what I've wanted for a while. 
Yeah, you know, Dreams of a Ghostbusters 3, and even back when Ackroyd originally was pitching this movie, back in the 90s, like, a Passing the Torch movie. That's everything that I've ever wanted from a Ghostbusters 3. These guys are obviously getting older, especially now, like, this is, what, almost, yeah, 20 years after whenever they thought they might be doing Ghostbusters 3 to begin with, so they're just that much older. And sadly, now we're at a point where one of them isn't around anymore. Like, this is, it's it's hard to see that, you know, we might not have ever gotten another movie because nobody wants to do it. The cast is getting the original cast is getting too old. So you have to do this now while they're still around and be able to pass the torch correctly. Like this is, this is a really good movie to hand the franchise off to a younger generation and see where they take it. If they decide to make more. Um, so like Andy said, I think it hits all the right buttons for me, which we'll get into specifically later. Um, like Josh mentioned, the cast is phenomenal. I think everybody does an excellent job. Um, specifically, I think McKenna Grace carries this movie, and she does a fantastic job. Logan Kim is another standout for me, is his character. I loved his character. Um, so, yeah. They all I, did a good job. I thought Finn did a good job. I mean... He... I, I liked him. I don't think that he... I felt like he was doing anything different than what he normally does. So I just felt like it's just Finn Wolfhard in a movie. Like I, I can't distinguish him any different than like Mike from Stranger Things. Uh, my, my, my issue was not with him, but with maybe the character as, as well. Right. Like yeah, you, they wrote Phoebe to have to carry the movie. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. Trevor could have been any number of actors around his age, or they could pass for his age, and what they needed him to do could have been achieved by a lot of people right so yeah, yeah. Like, it wasn't his fault necessarily it was, it was limited in what he needed to, to deliver and you know a lot of this movie i think like josh said is set up for the new characters so if they make a sequel this is this is where i want to see them play more with this cast and and do some new things um which we can talk about you know again when we get into the spoilers like what why they need to do new things and stuff like that but yeah i mean it's not to bury the lead, but I love this movie. Um, I'm going to have a really hard time not just gushing about it for the next, <laughs> for however long we talk about this. But uh, yeah, I, it, it is, I don't want to say, my, I don't know if it's my favorite Ghostbusters movie. I have seen it four times in the last two weeks. Uh, it is still great <laughs> every time that I've seen it. It has not gotten old for me. So anybody that still wants to see it, open invitation, I will go again. Um, uh, let me ask, were any of the, were any of the visits repeats with the same people or just on your own? Or like, did you take the opportunity, like this, this group of people, this person hasn't seen it this weekend. I'll go with them again. It's the, it's the, it's the latter. Okay. So I'm always finding someone else that hasn't seen it yet. That almost is like, Hey, I, you know, we're either, we're going to go. Would you like to join us? Or mm -hmm. I don't want to go by myself. Would you come with me? And yes, I'll, of course I'm going to say yes to that. Gotcha. So I have not, I have not, uh, well, no, that's not true. You know what? Leslie went twice. Cause we did Thursday and then we did Friday. And uh, just, but everybody just else in the group has been different too. No, no, other people were there too. Okay, okay. Well, but still, the the sort of the prompt, even for both of you, may have been, "Hey, these other people aren't going the first night." Right. Do you like go I got tickets them? Thursday and Friday for different groups of people. Mm -hmm. It was just that Leslie was like, "Yeah, I'll go again," even before seeing the movie. So <laughs> she was she was locked in for two nights. Uh, but yeah, it was. It's again, it's still great. Um, I don't. I don't How many know. Times? What's that? Have you seen it? How many times have you seen it? Four. Four. Yeah. Okay. 
Josh? Once. Okay. Did you only go once, once Andy? For me, okay. Once for me as well, yes. Um, so yeah, I don't really know what else generally we can talk about or what else we want to... Is there anything else generally before we move on that you guys want to touch on? For anybody, anything you want to say to anybody that is curious about the movie, if they haven't made up their mind, if they should see it, uh, anything to present to them. Otherwise, we'll just go into spoilers and talk to people that have seen the movie. Nothing yeah, else? Okay. I got nothing else left. Yeah, let's hit, hit spoilers. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so for anyone that's on the fence and wants to go see it, definitely, this is my stamp of approval. Go fucking see the movie and then come back and talk to us after. Uh, so here we're going to get to the spoilers. So if you've not seen Ghostbusters Afterlife and do not want spoiled, pause us now. Come back after seeing the movie. We will be here waiting for you, I promise. Uh, again, last warning, I'm excited to talk about some spoilers, so we're going to talk about some spoilers. Here we go. I'm stumbling over words again, but it's fine. Spoilers to follow. Spoiler! Spoiler! You know, something like that. Alright, so we are into spoiler territory. Uh, if you've listened to the last couple episodes when we've done our movie reviews, we usually try to stick to our categories. Uh, there's only three of us this time, so I'm going to try to let it be a little bit more freeform uh, in our discussion. We will probably still hit the main stuff we do, direction, story, characters, all that kind of stuff, but We'll just kind of let it go and see where we spin. Uh, so I'll throw it out to Andy. Wherever you want to start, spoilers, you know, whatever you want to talk about, spoilers are there. Uh, kick us off. I, I, um, I, it's an odd starting point, but I, I just wanted to talk about uh, two of the cameos that surprised me and shocked me with how little they were in the movie. Okay. Yeah, and that was um, Josh Gad and, um, oh God, I can't remember his name. Jonah Jameson, basically. Oh, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Thank you. Yes. Wait, you're, I, you're I just Josh you're breaking, is puzzled. Yeah, you're breaking <laughs> my head right now. Josh Gad was in this. Not yes. visibly seen. Not visibly seen, but I'm look, he I'm trying to find was him. the voice for oh. the ghost that ate the metal, which is I can't remember his Muncher. name. Muncher. Muncher. Right, yes, right, thank right, you. Right. But huh. like, it doesn't make any discernible Josh Gad noises, so <laughs> I don't really know why he needed to be in that they could have just had some programmer guy make weird noises that the ghost could make and it took so me to like the third screening before i noticed that in the credits that he was muncher yeah yeah it, it like what strange um and jk simmons was in the movie for all of five seconds <laughs> before he got torn to shreds and never to be seen again it just seemed to not have any bearing on anything either i feel like that was meant to be a shocking moment like it's the movie is building to you thinking evo shandor is going to come back to life and be the villain and then gozer comes up and rips him in half and you're like oh no no he's we faked you out this isn't the guy she's the guy again yeah i, I just don't understand you could have had just just any anybody in prosthetics yeah, a, yeah, any actor sort of do that. I, I don't, I don't well, know. I think that lends to the like surprise a, more. Like, a, you're looking at it like, that's J.K. Simmons. That character must mean something. And then they kill him off like that. And then you're like, oh, okay. Well, it, yeah. it, didn't See, even, I, it didn't even register to me. Someone, either Sarah or someone else, told me afterward, like, yeah, that was J.K. Simmons. I'm like, he's not on screen long enough and he is in makeup and he literally. I didn't... is in the middle of delivering a line before yeah. he dies. <laughs> right. you know? His he's, only he's line. They're so little. I, I literally didn't recognize him as anybody. Which right. props to like so, my buddy's wife who on screening number four, as he's laying in the coffin, you see him for the first time. She goes, J.K. Simmons? Bullshit. I was like, how the hell did you see, pick that I, out already? I did no not way. pick up J.K. Simmons when he was in the coffin, only when he started talking. I was like, yeah. oh shit, that's him. Um, I... I I was wondering if maybe he 
sort of called up Jason and was like, do you have any roles? I really want to be <laughs> Ghostbusters. <laughs> Same with Josh Gad. Just like this has been like a lifelong dream. Like I'd be honored to just do any little last bit that I could. Josh Gad I could see for sure. Like it would it would warm my heart if J.K. Simmons is that big of a Ghostbusters fan that he just wants yeah, to be in it, it at just, any point. Like I, I couldn't think of any other reason why why you would do that unless there's like these awesome like uh, l- lore rich deleted scenes that I'm assuming will happen. Yeah, maybe. We'll have to we'll have to wait for the release, the home video release, to see if they did something else with uh, Evo Shandor. Yeah. Uh, that that's sort of where I wanted to to start off with because I feel like that could could be a little bit missed in in what, what was happening. Yeah. Um, I mean that could spin Did us you... into characters and stuff too if we want. Yeah. So, but while we're talking about it, um, did you guys? I just found this out. I wasn't sure if you guys knew this or not. But did you know that uh, Ivan was actually in this movie? Ivan Reitman. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess he somehow doubled for Egon. Yes. Okay. He was a stand-in for Egon. I only know that okay. because I seen Jason Reitman with a behind the scenes picture of like him and his dad and his dad was in the uniform holding the yep. gun. Yep. He was a stand-in. So, you know, he was the guy there before they added all the, like the ectoplasmic special effects to make him look like Egon. Yeah. See, that's fun. To and me. I think that's that awesome. is, 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 is so heartwarming to it's you know it just brings that four herald up into the stars just like all that much more meaning to me you know um i i just hearing jason talk about the experience of making this movie with his dad because his dad didn't direct this isn't a co-directing thing his dad is just listed as a producer but his dad was with him every day on set sitting next to him as he directed like that's a family experience for this movie and the way he talks about it is so heartwarming and, and loving that it, it, you can't help but just be like, oh, this sounds like fun. <laughs> um, sort of like the, the cameo route that Andy was talking about. And I, IMDb lists her as uncredited. If you look in the credits, she's not listed. I, and I think we, Josh and I talked about it after our, the first screening. But Gozer, the, the actress that plays Gozer. It's got to be Olivia Wilde, right? What? That's not Olivia Wilde. That that there's no way that's she Olivia looks Wilde. exactly oh, she, like Olivia yeah, Wilde. I that that stood out to me immediately. She's not listed what? in the credits. They have a spirit of Gozer listed, which is Emma Portner. Well, but and then, IMDb and then, lists Olivia Wilde right. as Gozer uncredited. And it might it might be. I'm not saying this is the case. It might be because they have someone else listed as the voice for Gozer. The um, voice I can, I can, another, another actress she's been in I video recognize. games before and I know her voice. Oh yeah. And like, she's been in live action stuff too, that I know her from. So yeah. it might be one of those things where they don't technically have to list her in certain official capacities because she didn't technically speak her own voice on screen. Right. And that that's where you get into a lot of rules of like extras. If you have, someone on set from what i understand and you decide to like have an extra say anything as a uh, uh, to fill a space to create a moment to do something that person now gets paid differently they have to be credited like it's right. a legal thing it's a union thing it could be that that's 
why they're making the distinctions here. So I, like, I, guess, I, I don't know. I don't know why you wouldn't just confirm whether it's her or not. Like, what is right. there to lose or gain? And my my hurdle is like, why list the spirit of Gozer and have someone else be credited as Gozer? Like, I thought they were sort of one and the same. Unless the, the spirit of Gozer is just like mocap for like the, some of the CG Gozer stuff. That that's what I think. Either either they only use Olivia Wilde's face and put her face onto the CGI form after this other person did all the like on uh, onset mocap. Right. Okay. That that could be it, or like in the moments where Gozer is like less than um. Uh, it's it's more like the like electrical like ego right. kind of form, right? Um, maybe the spirit of Gozer actress had like maybe they required that to be able to move in a certain way that like was not up Olivia Wilde's alley. Yeah. So they had to have a, another physical person doing those moments, which I'd buy that. Yeah. Because I like I can't once I figured out that hey wait that's olivia wilde or at least who i think is olivia wilde i couldn't unsee that and figure out that it was someone else like it has to be her like i'm convinced it's her right so how how um uh viable is the information from screen rant uh i don't know they i don't know their their stuff is hit or miss for me anymore but why what are they are they saying it's her or not her so i i'm reading something that says three people played gozer Okay, so if they have a mocap Wild? person, a voice person, and a and her for the, her face, her body. So it says, Wild plays Gozer in their solid corporeal form, but Canadian dancer and choreographer Emma Portnor plays Gozer's CGI spirit form. Okay. Presumably through motion capture. Meanwhile, Shoray Ash... Yeah, good luck with that name. <laughs> Ash... Ash... Dash Lou... Mm-hmm provides the voice the deep crackling voice yeah okay so i think they're i think they're correct which would put a spot on with what we're talking about so i think we i think we nailed it i think we got there ourselves yeah yes <laughs> damn see i i did i did i did not see that if you, you watch know, it just... if you go see it a second time andy think of olivia wilde as soon as gozer pops up on the screen and you're gonna be like how did i miss this okay yeah this is one of the few movies that i've seen in the theater in quite some time where i've i was like I need to go see this again in the theater. You know, yeah. I don't want to wait. Yeah. I want to go see it, you know, again. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it was a good theater movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So sort of, I guess, sticking with the cameos, how do you guys feel about the, the OG cast coming back and their cameos? Um, I guess they were used well enough. I, I don't think you can put bill murray on screen by himself okay without him just taking over everything like, uh, yeah. like he's just it, it's gonna change you're not because you're no longer watching the movie you're watching bill murray in the movie right um so when he appears with the other two uh on the farm at the end I think I think it was effective. I, I actually really appreciated getting the uh, extra Winston time in the Stingers. Oh yes, I really dug that. Because um, at first I was like, well, you know, you got you got a moment with Ray much earlier in the movie for a minute or two. Yeah, and then they all. Sh- I loved that moment on the phone. Yeah, which I did too. Awesome. Yeah. Um. But uh, and then yes, okay. Then they all appear together in uniform, ready to help with the fight. But then I, I kind of felt like it trivialized 
Winston during that time. So yeah. I, appreci- I appreciated that like extra push and like they're they're kind of using him as the cornerstone it seems perhaps to like push the next chapter forward which i really dig yeah we'll spin back around to that yeah, later yeah. um andy what do you think of the the og guys coming back uh it it just like i got i got such an urge of 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 like this energy <laughs> when it, when i got to see like all sort of four of them like together using proton packs again just just like Oh, I never thought that like I was gonna be able to see this again. Right. You know, just like this brand new scene that just Oh, it just it, it just gave me It's it's not the first time I'm gonna make this reference, but I'm I'll probably come back to it again. But it that moment, seeing the four guys lined up, even if one of them's a ghost, busting ghosts, gave me the moment that I've wanted from the Star Wars sequel trilogies, which is get the OG cast together in a frame doing something. Like, Star Wars mm-hmm. never achieved that. Yeah. This movie did it, and one of them has passed. <laughs> and I I will say the 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 actual acting, the moment, um, what, when, when they're all trying to, uh, you know, light, light up Gozer together, and, like, one by one they turn to Egon. Yeah. I don't know about you, like, it could have just been me making up in my own head because I wanted it to be something, but, like, I almost got, like, at first they're shocked because there's a ghost. Then they're shocked that they're seeing Egon. But then the revelation of, like, Egon, if, if Egon is here as a ghost, it must have, like, it kind of explains things. Like, he's, he's there as a spirit willingly you know right. not like in the way that like, they haven't they've never discussed and they well in a way they've never given the impression that everybody who dies does leave a ghost behind or can leave a ghost behind and they never got to like the rules right they right. always just sort of said that they're kind of manifestations sometimes rooted in uh conjuring evil spirits gods all that kind of stuff but in my head, I saw that I I created a moment where one one of one of the group has chosen to take this path to uh, as like a means to an end, as a tool, you know, a tool in the tool belt, a a, a way to continue to affect what they want. It was a tactic. Almost like he didn't willingly. Well, he didn't happily die. By the time it came, it seemed like he was realized he was going to. But the choice to stay behind until you know he he got done what he needed to. Um, I I feel like I saw that whole transition happen in the faces of them when they turned to him. So I just kind of want to spin off what you were talking about there, sort of like Egon's death. And I after seeing it four times, I could go either way. So I don't know if okay. you guys have a have a play here. Did the ghost kill Egon, or did Egon kill himself to do what Josh said and make sure he became a ghost to try to finish his job? You never see what happens. Well, something comes out of the chair. Right. So at that point, again, I could go either way. Either he's trying to get the ghost that's trying to get him, or he knows he's in for it. This is it. My last play is I have to become a ghost. I'm going to shock myself. 
The only thing they say about his death is that he had a heart attack. Right. Correct? Yes. And that's merely secondhand information that um, Phoebe has. Right. Assuming heard from her mom. So, I mean, really, for the sake of the plot and to move the story forward, it doesn't matter one way or the other. True. But for my, just for me trying to read into it, I don't know which way it went. I don't know if you guys have a feeling one way or the other. My my guess is that he wouldn't willingly do that to himself. Okay. Probably uh, not knowing if he would come back. You I kind of felt uh, like... My, my guess is that uh, he came back because he had unfinished business to reconnect with family and to finish what he had started. Okay. And I can buy that. Opinion. Right. But if if he did it to himself, it would it would be a harder a harder argument to make that he had unfinished business when he himself did it to himself. Does well, I think I sense? think the unfinished business still applies. Like he didn't yeah. defeat Gozer, he didn't finish his ultimate plan. And I also feel like to that point, like studying ghosts but, for years, it's almost like I I'm I'm seeing it as like how to study to become a force ghost. Like he's worked around the subject matter long enough that if anybody could figure out I have to kill myself this way to become a ghost, Egon could figure it out. And I I I I, I took it as and honestly it didn't read any other way that, than this to me, which was he obviously tried to have the whole farm trap set up and ready to go, like they ultimately pull off. Right. It didn't work. Since he now finds himself in that moment, he uh, went with plan B. Whether he knew what plan B was going to be in advance or not. So it's either get himself killed or kill himself. Well, I I never got the impression that he killed himself. Okay. I, I took it as once the once the farm trap was faulty in the beginning and presumably it's gozer there right. in front of him still that you don't see because you only see it from like their point of view which i love all that stuff but yeah but presumably that's the same thing you see play out then in act three yes yeah the farm trap doesn't work for him so in that moment it's... he probably realizes i'm not getting it's... out of this Right, it's an undeniable conclusion. Okay, and, correct. And with his with his scientific brain, he he's like, well, so he's backed is... in a corner. This is it. Yeah. So I I'm I I I'm I'm gonna go out. How can I try to make this most to my advantage? So okay. I I and to that end, I didn't take it as he killed himself. He allowed himself to be killed because he was gonna be killed anyway. Okay. He did it in a manner that would maybe play into what he hoped would follow. Okay. Right. Yeah. And and he he left enough breadcrumbs with the the trap and right uh, the e e k g no not e k p k e p k e thank yeah. you p k e meter so okay yeah I'm on board with that um I'm gonna spin back around just to the OG cameos and stuff for for me I think the um when when it's because they announced that these guys were coming back before this so I knew they were in the movie I didn't know to what capacity. I think going in in my headcanon, I was figuring they would show up like midway through the movie. They would go through some mentoring of the new younger cast and maybe not be involved in the final conflict, but might be present at the final conflict. Um, as you start going through the movie, like, you know, you get the little bit from Ray and that's it. And then you're just waiting like, OK, well, when are they going to show up? 
the the moment that they show up and and them being there i was ho- i don't know i i am excited to see them i'm glad they're in the movie i thought it was going to hit me harder than it did it it felt a little underwhelming to me and i don't know if just because like that part of the movie i think also feels just kind of very sound stagey to me mm. and they literally just come out of nowhere like they just it's like they just walked up to the farm and they're there it just seemed way too convenient to me to just buy into it but it, you That's know fair. you're caught up in the moment because they're there and it's the OG guys and they're they're busting gozer again like it's it works for the moment but it i think i just wanted more but that's that. a that's a slight okay. nitpick for me like like a grander entrance e- even that like if like one that makes more sense yeah i mean really i th- cuz they in ghostbusters drive up in the canon t- well technically there should be two ecto 1s there's ecto 1 and there's ecto 1a ecto 1a still exists somewhere they could have rolled up in the second like if you hear those sirens come around the corner like as they're starting to fight gozer that would be less of a surprise to them suddenly just hear like Bill Murray's line as they try to hit Gozer. Like it, 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 it I don't know. I'm torn because it, it works for the impact. Like it's a nice little like, hey, they're here, and suddenly they're they're part of it. There's there's less build up there, so it kind of works. as just like bam, they're here. But I think I wanted a little bit more build up and and a little bit more from them in the movie. But again, slight nitpick because I'm not going to be like I didn't want them at all or that didn't work completely. I still think it worked for me. I just I think wanted a little bit more. Um, I know I talked a little bit about the rest of the cast too, but uh, anybody else specific that you guys want to talk about? Paul Rudd. Okay. Mr. Gary Gruberson. <laughs> Gary Gruberson, yes. Uh, I thought he did a really good job of sort of trying to parcel out what was happening with the seismographs that he was studying yeah, and, and why they were different. And I liked the explanation that he was giving about like the wavelengths and stuff like that. I thought that was really cool. They, they made him um, kind of a smart scientist yeah. sort of out of his field for what is happening as far as whatever. But it, you know, I thought that was really cool how they spun his uh, scientific expertise into the movie. Which that moment and, features the best joke of the movie for me, which is Phoebe's obtuse line. The, the triangle wink yes. joke. <laughs> yes, and the wink. Oh my god, it gets which, me every she time. She then explains <laughs> that, it, yes, it was a joke because I winked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I love and, it and so much. It's, it's stuff like that, that whether you like, I think you subconsciously realize it or not, it's those kinds of moments that your brain tells you she is killing this movie. Yeah. Yeah, and she, she has like really, a series yeah. of those types where, yeah, they just like hit one after the other. Yeah. Um, so did we? I'm sorry, did we move on from the cameos and we're just going in more like just yeah, just general characters? cast, like anybody in the cast you want to talk about? Uh, um, I there yeah. was a scene I did not care for that Paul Rudd was in, and that was sort of like the the lovemaking scene when they were uh, <laughs> the, the right in the desert, the human form of the dogs. Yeah. Um, it just it just seemed very oddly rushed or something like I I just it, it just seemed like I I know like he he plays like an awkward sort of humor humor guy but it was like too awkward for me yeah to well it, like that in, scene in the first movie everything that happens between Dana and uh, Tully is implied. 
right? Every it's it's all innuendo and it's all subtext. Um, well, they kind of they do like unite and they share a kiss and then they walk up to the roof, right? Where you where off screen they do it, right? Because and they all, woke up all, next to each all other. Of the information has already been given to you that you understand what needs to happen and what's going to occur. Yeah. With with this, especially in that moment right before, for whatever reason, you know, J- J- Reitman must have just been like, okay. Act like Rick Moranis as you run off this rock. <laughs> and then when you get to her, yes, it's going to be hyper tension, sexualized. You're going to go in for a big animalistic kiss and then fall out of frame. Yeah. I can Which see that. I will say, too, the, like the scene setup was a little awkward. Paul Rudd. Yeah, I just it just. Yeah, it just I don't know. Paul Rudd gets two laughs in this movie for basically doing nothing i feel like but one of them is his just laying on the rock like, yes that was just an amazing like position for him to be laying yeah, in. yeah that gets a laugh and him just strolling through walmart gets a laugh every time which i he feel like is this... just how paul rudd walks like that's yeah just... he has just like this this funny swagger to him when he's doing that where he's like bobbing his head like having a good time like this is great i'm having the time of my life and then it's like which Whoa. Andy, I know Josh caught it because him and I looked at each other in the movie when this happened. But when he goes okay. to get the ice cream, did you catch what brand of ice cream it is? The the, the brand brand of ice cream that he is getting from Walmart. In yeah, in the cooler section. No, Baskin Robbins. Baskin Robbins always finds out. Ant Man. <laughs> do you know do you how well do you remember oh, Ant-Man? Okay. He was in Ant-Man. <laughs> I wasn't yeah i wasn't connecting like what you guys were, were saying there but yeah there was yeah, yeah okay <laughs> no i didn't i i was thinking in terms of like ghostbusters so i'm trying oh, to no, of, yeah like the first two ghostbusters and i'm like was that was baskin robbins in like her refrigerator when Benkin looked into the refrigerator oh, and oh was, yeah like, i mean you might be right i don't know for sure I, why am i <laughs> Not getting this. forty-one <laughs> flavors of ghosts. Like, what, what is happening? Yeah, uh, I mean, I I'm I'm assuming it's a, it's an it's an Eggman <laughs> Easter egg that that they put in there. At least okay. I think that's what Josh okay. and I that, are on the same page is because we literally that, leaned forward that, at each other and we're like, Baskin Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> that that makes more sense. I was just wrapping my brain. <laughs> I mean, I think the I think the line you were trying to go down makes more sense to yeah. to try to consider. Yeah, I just I wasn't putting it together, but I wasn't pulling all nerddom just like Ghostbusters. That's fair. Nerddom. That's fair. My uh, card catalog. You know, Get I that Rolodex out. Let's go. Out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there it is. Amen. <laughs> uh, Josh, was there somebody you want to talk about? I think you started somewhere. Uh, yeah, I would say as far, just one more comment, quick on cameos. I was happy that uh, Annie Potts showed up. I was sad that we got her yeah. so early and then she was gone yeah um oh we got her in the stinger too that's true that is that is true i forgot about that um but i mean like she's always just so delightful i don't know there's something about her demeanor that she can bring as an actress when like if that's the character she's playing she's so good at it yeah um other than that like i would say i freaking loved podcast yes <laughs> this kid <laughs> he, he was great. this kid was great i and the, talk about laugh moments when they're at the junkyard or the, the, the like the old industrial mill or whatever, and she's yeah. going to try out the proton pack 
and he pulls that <laughs> el- that elongated microphone out of a, like a gunslinger's holster. Like a holster. <laughs> uh, that that got me because I don't know what maybe I was slow in the uptake. I didn't understand what he had there at first. I didn't know what it was. Yeah, and it's not until he actually goes to remove it. Like I thought he was just being silly. Like, oh, you have a big thing you're carrying around. I'm gonna find some junk thing and put it on my hip too and when he takes it out and he's got that like foot and a half long microphone that he's using yeah that that killed me and i <laughs> it forgive us at least two of us if not more of us in the theater with you the first time said if podcasts had been around and are and were what they are when we were 12 years old all of us said that would have been brian <laughs> <laughs> Yep. I call myself podcast because, you know, because of my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that he owns up to it. Like, oh, yeah. that's your nickname? Yeah, I mean, I call myself that. <laughs> uh, he I, he I, was delightful. And, and, and something like that, like a gag, like that personality you think could easily sometimes wear out its welcome. But they towed the line with it just enough that it worked every scene. I, yeah. I'd seen Jason Reitman talking to, I think it was Adam Savage, one of Adam Savage's videos he sat down and had an interview with jason reitman and they were talking about podcasts specifically that character and that like on the page it doesn't seem like these lines are deliverable or like just don't feel like they would hit as well as they do Mm -hmm. and it's it's all logan kim like the way he just delivers everything is fun and delightful and lighthearted, and like he just nails it yeah his his delivery made it all Um, and I didn't pick this up and or really think about it until like viewing three or four. Where the hell are podcast parents? <laughs> right. The kid oh, yeah, strolls along question. with them for two, three days, gets involved in a world ending ghost crisis, and his parents are nowhere to be found. There's not even a mention like they are very busy people. Right. They do a thing. They they travel. They like nothing. Yeah. It's just not that it's important because like kid, I love having him around, kids. but it's just like. If you're trying to, like, fill the gaps, like, I feel like there should at least be a phone call to a parent somewhere in there just to let us know they exist, but maybe that was a deleted scene. Yeah. Um, I would say I, I always enjoy uh, Bokeem Woodbine. I, I was sad that he was only in it for, like, just, like, a couple of small moments as as the sheriff. He got the line, I, though. That, yeah. that scene, I really, really thought it was going to be Winston as the sheriff for oh. some reason <laughs> just like they kept not showing him and not showing him like oh shit it's gonna be winston yeah he's sort of like looking for clues for egon like as the sheriff like getting those little like um wait is there something weird going on over here right and he'll like pass on the information i really thought that was gonna be him and there's that moment too at the police station that gets me where Everybody starts taking jabs at Egon, and Phoebe finally has enough and just goes for the pack like she's going to kill somebody. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, this got real. But <laughs> And I couldn't, like, I couldn't tell in that moment, and you've seen it three more times, so maybe it stands out <laughs> more to you, but is she going for it because she's like, I'm going to use this on you mother effers, and you're going to shut your mouths? Or is it like, I'm so pissed, I'm taking my stuff, and we're, I'm getting out of here? I think it was more, I'm, I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> like I've had it up to here with everybody saying my grandfather is crazy and she's you know at that point in the movie they're discovering that he's right they're not all the way there but like ghosts exist they're flying around the the fucking town like all the equipment works she's finally discovered who her grandfather is and what he did to save the world like mm-hmm. 
it's building and building and building. And everybody that she talks about him to, even her mom, thinks he's crazy and nuts and had nothing to do with anybody. Mm-hmm. And she's finally believing that he is the opposite and she is much further, uh, has more in common with him than anybody else. And, you know, maybe they start, to, she starts, starts taking it personal that she doesn't want to be crazy. She doesn't think she's crazy. And it just comes to a boiling point and is like, listen, shut your mouth or I'm going to shoot you with this <laughs> nuclear accelerator. Unlicensed. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Um, Andy, anybody else you want to touch on? Well, we I, I feel like you just touched on her, um, the mom. Yeah. Uh, Carrie e- Egon's, Egon's daughter. Yeah. I thought she did a, a very good job. Yeah. Uh, um, very, you know, it's hard to, I guess, tell, tell where they were going to go with her. If she was going to have some sort of, like, I mean, she seemed like a, a good enough parent and for taking care of the kids and everything like that, but you know, I guess the way they sp- try to spin Egon is you don't like, you know, Egon was up to something and you're waiting for the shoe to drop where everybody sort of figures out that he's trying to save the world and how she'll come around to realize all that stuff. Like all the, all the mentions that she does about being neglected and like, there's no pictures anywhere of her and all that stuff. So still waiting for all that to, to pay off, I guess. Um, and it finally does, I think in a good way. But yeah, I think she did, she does very good as a, a down on her luck mom trying to hold everything together and keep the family afloat and all that stuff. Yeah, I I would agree. And uh, I, I just wanted to point out a little. It's not even an Easter egg to this movie, but when I was watching the credit, because she she does not look familiar to me easily. Like she looks like many actresses could look that you you know have seen a million times. Yeah. Um, and, and no offense to her, I just I just don't like she's not very familiar to me um but when i saw the credits i'm like carrie coon who the hell is carrie coon i know that name and i think i said this to you guys when we got out of the theater she was the i think the voice i don't think she was the on-screen uh on set body i think she was the voice of proxima midnight from avengers uh infinity war one of thanos's henchmen the one that scarlet witch throws into a spinny wheel yeah, the woman one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but and yeah after you said that, watching it again, like, the voice fits. Like, I can hear it with that in mind when I watch the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I, I sort of gushed about McKenna. I think you guys maybe did, too, a little bit. But anything to, to add for McKenna Grace for Phoebe? What else has she been in? Or is this sort of like a first role for her? I know she's pretty young, so... Not at all, my friend. She has... Almost, so this was an in- she, introducing McKenna Grace movie. Not at all. She she has almost sixty television and film credits. Okay. Um, now she apparently played young Carol Danvers in Captain Marvel. Yeah, she's the one at the uh, the go kart age, who like crashes the go kart at the fair. Yeah, or age whatever. thirteen. She's one of them. Um, she was in a movie with Chris Evans about four years ago called. Uh, gifted i think in which she kind of she plays his oh, okay. niece yeah, yeah. and she's like a savant um she's been in a ton of shit she's r- actually really surprisingly really really good for a little girl like, like even in the years past i think she's about 15 or 16 now but the stuff that a couple things i've seen her in when she was like 10 11 12 she's 
kind of amazing as a child actress. She did a really good job, and she really like endeared you to the movie. Just and and partially, I, I'm assuming partial part of that is is like the story writing to it, but like the actress, I feel like adds some flair to yeah. what she was given that that endears you to things as well. She she so perfectly fit like. If you were unsure if she was Egon's granddaughter, like you just have to watch her for a little bit and her mannerisms and what she's into and how she delivers lines. Like it's so deadpan Harold Ramis's delivery of Egon's lines. Like it's it fits so well. And again, I keep coming back to that obtuse joke. Like that was the one for me that's like, yep, you are Egon. Like th- this is his genetics right there. That's great. Uh, I think the only sort of like main cast member we didn't really talk about was uh, Celeste O'Connor, who was Lucky, the uh, the diner other the other diner worker that that Trevor was into, Finn Wolfhard was into, who I guess is like the fourth member of the Ghostbuster team for them. But yeah, she did good. I I don't know if she had she definitely didn't have the screen time. I think as everybody else, so it was a little bit less to get invested with her. Yeah, her character was a little less like doing things and uh, way more having things happen to her and seeing how she reacted to stuff, you know? Yeah. But I think she did good. Yeah, I mean, she did. She did well. By the time the story came around toward the end and I realized like, oh, they've now given us like four kids, basically. And now we have the four Ghostbusters. I didn't. Like it wasn't even registering in advance of that moment that she would be one of them. I didn't think they were kind of making her that important. Right. Um, and then sort of like in the middle of it, like, oh, okay, well, we got mom out of being a dog. And oh, no, look, now she's taken over temporarily. But <laughs> nothing really happens to her. So she'll just be off to the side until this gets resolved. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's anybody else in the cast we want to touch on. I think we pretty much hit all the main people. I, I would like to talk about some people that I would have liked to have seen. Okay. <laughs> that list could be I very long. Would have, I would have liked to have seen a cameo from Rick Moranis. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. And Muncher was fine and all, but we needed a Slimer in there, in my opinion. I mean, they could always hang him around for the next movie. They could. Both of them probably could make an appearance in the next movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, Rick Moranis has like basically retired from acting, so I don't know if he's ever going to star I in anything ever again. I thought I heard that he was back, though. Yeah, same. Like, just within the last, sometime this year, he yeah. was like getting back into his like very first thing. I don't know. I don't even know if it's oh, live really? action. Okay. It might be voice acting. Okay. Well, maybe that'll open the door for something coming down the line. I mean, you know, if, if the Ghostbusters business gets back into into swing here, they they need an accountant, right? So. Somebody do your taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll sort of spin, uh, uh, like story-wise, and I think Josh kind of talked about this, bef- like generally. So we'll we'll try to dive into it now. But the the antagonist for this movie ends up being Gozer, and Josh and I sort of had this conversation off off the show. But uh, is it, did it need to be Gozer? Like, is that just? fan service for the sake of fan service or, or Josh, maybe you can sort of expand upon what you you and I were sort of talking about before and what you're trying to set up. Yeah. It, it, it only needed, if they chose Gozer, 
in my opinion, they didn't give us an important enough reason why 35 years later it's still a threat and why it's that important. Um, I think the disconnect between the fallout of Egon and the others doesn't make as much sense if that is still your threat. It, it make That makes much more sense if there's this inexplicable strange thing that he's not quite sure what it is, but in his... Uh, his observations and in his gut, see something tells him something's wrong, but they just don't want to listen or they can't understand it, blah, blah, blah. It makes zero, zero sense to me that after the events of the first film, he would even have an inclination, let alone know apparently everything that he did. He found the freaking Lazarus pit thing, set up the self-triggering proton packs to keep them at bay, obviously yeah. saw Evo's cryo tomb thing there like he knew it all so why didn't the ghostbusters believe him did he not tell them why would he do that that doesn't make sense they don't want to hear it what like it it falls apart that aspect of the story is the only thing that made zero sense to me because the choice of that had like other choice repercussions for the other things that they selected but it didn't need to be that at all like, it's the only thing that I honestly out of, out of the film, it's one of the few things that I would say directly either was pointless fan service or that they just couldn't. I don't know if it's that they couldn't think of a better threat or they didn't want the focus to be on what the threat is, just that there is one. Yeah, I think in. I don't remember if I mentioned this part, sort of part of our conversation that we had before, but uh, it it the plot of this movie sort of follow takes sort of like plot beats, I guess, sort of sort of what uh, and I'm gonna par- compare it to Force Awakens, sort of what Force Awakens did for me, which is which I guess has some of the same issues that Force Awakens has, where it follows a lot of the similar plot of the first movie, and it's more just to I feel like play off of that fan service and nostalgia and get those people invest, try to get them invested in a story that they liked before. Maybe not necessarily trick them that they're doing the same thing again, because I think it's fairly obvious that they're doing a lot of the same things again. Um, But maybe just that familiar iconography is something that will hook fans in and don't need to do anything different yet. But like to to Josh's point, like it it could have been anybody. I think I think the antagonist could have just been a ghost demon. It didn't have to be Gozer, and I, I think it sort of could play the same. I I disagree with that. Um, what Josh said, uh, like they needed more time to build into what, uh, trance like like the, a lot of the movie you're you're figuring out as you go, what happened, yeah. right? Like, it's a lot of exposition about, you know, why he left, why he left, what he's doing, why he's at Dirt Farm, and, and you just, like, you keep, like, building this backstory of, of what Egon was doing. Right. And I feel like if you have a new threat, then you have to spend time detailing that threat. Otherwise, it's not really too much of a threat well i mean it could like you know? it could be the so same if you have something plot familiar beats, 
like you could still like Egon could still set up the trap for whatever's out there. He could still be luring whatever's out there to the farm. Like all of that stuff plays the same. It's just using Gozer could be any other demon, whatever you like. Some some other ghost could be trying to bring about the end of the world the same way. Like just specifically the callback to Gozer feels well, like okay, the, we're with, just specifically with, using with the, fan service. But with the with the threat that will be the same if if it's just random random god level ghost that they created for said movie i mean everything that which the, is fair hero fights is you know usually at the trying to end the world in some form or fashion so i think it could have been any ghost trying to end the world because they didn't spend a lot of time on that yeah you know and if you watch ghostbusters 2 they spend quite a bit of time expositioning vigo Okay. And they they didn't have that time in this movie based on trying to figure out why Egon died, why Egon did what the things that he did that they they didn't have enough time in my opinion to spend on the antagonist. So they went with something familiar, something that everyone already knows is a high threat level. And I'll give you that cuz it puts more sure. screen time like you said on Egon, more screen time on the new cast. And I think again, that's sort of what Force Awakens did, where we want to push the new cast members out of you, out towards you, so we're going to use a sort of threat that is familiar with, which is a Death Star-like super weapon that they're going to use to conquer the galaxy and stuff like that. So you can focus on the new guys and bring the story up to speed. And, you know, I, I sort of, I think, talked about Josh with this, too, is the way Force Awakens happened is Force Awakens came out, it did something similar and familiar, and won people back to the Star Wars franchise... Last Jedi comes out and does something different, and suddenly the fan base becomes very divisive, and some people love it, some people hate it, and it kind of, that trilogy sputters out to me. I really want them, if they make a sequel, to do something different with a Ghostbusters sequel. Like, we've seen the familiar, now take what's familiar and sort of try to do what Last Jedi did and sort of spin it on its head, give us something new, something different, like, re not re maybe reinvent Ghostbusters, I don't know, but... I think there's a way to do it to make it new and interesting without really relying on all the fan service and nostalgia that they do in this movie. And if the, I don't know if Sony's going to take that risk if this movie does that well, because I think if you look at Star Wars, that's going to be the template that people use as to not to take risks because people are going to point to The Last Jedi and say that ruined the Star Wars trilogy. When no, the third one did. <laughs> I, I would agree. That's where I'm going to point the finger. I think I think Last Jedi did what it needed to do. It's just that the way the internet is and the way way older fans are married to stuff that they grew up with, it's too hard for them to sometimes get away from that. And Ghostbusters, I think, has the same type of following. I think there's people that are so invested in Ghostbusters as a kid that they don't want to see anything different as an adult. They just want to see more of the same, and which doesn't lend itself to make sequels interesting. I think this one... Again, does what it needs to do. It sets the stage. It brings people back in after the 2016 Ghostbusters and says, hey, look, we're taking care of this. We're listening to you. This is We hear this is what you want, so we'll give you what you want. But from here on out, I'd like to see them try something different. But that's maybe a conversation for another time to see what they do from here on out. This is this is all I, speculation at this point. Yeah, but. and I agree, but like now that they've gotten... like. Like we now know who these people are. We've gotten their backstory. We've got like Egon's backstory, and we know a lot now. They can spend more time building an antagonist that you can like have some actual like awe 
inspired threat level for the next movie. Yeah, you know? the setup can, for these characters that route, right. is in this movie, so now we can, with the familiar characters we and, know, now spin in to spend time with the villain and set up the villain, yeah. Right, they probably could have done that in this movie, but I feel like they would have probably need at least another half an hour, 45 minutes, which would have put it Give it about to me. three hours. I don't care. Give it to me. Just, Give it to me all. <laughs> that would just be like bursting with stuff. Ghostbuster you know? goodness. <laughs> Ghost, Ghostbuster goo. Getting slimed. <laughs> Slime. Slime, yeah. Um, and, and, so, and all that is extremely valid and, and presented in that way, Andy. I definitely see all of that. So let me I, let me refine a little bit of, of rebuttal there. So I would say if you're going to still go with Gozer, I think you have to make the other downstream effects of that choice better and i think by cre- by choosing that as your conflict as your antagonist as your threat some of the other story choices that they made now don't make sense to me Su- such as the the rift between egon and the rest that the the guy you know it's it's not even just that gozer was found to you know, be conjured up by a different cult, the same freaking guy who <laughs> made the 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 eighty floor skyscraper in New York specifically as a beacon for that god. Also, somehow went out west and founded a industrial town and made a Lazarus chamber and all this other stuff. Literally the same dude. How do the rest of the team ignore that? Why? Like how? How did that come to pass? And I think maybe because they didn't go into like enough detail in the conflict between the breakup of the team. Like it's mentioned, it's established, but I, I think that the the issues in my mind with that could have been solved with five minutes, not a half an hour. And it just it it just seemed like an odd thing to do because even like the threat of it wasn't really explained all that well it like they took i think they took for granted that you know gozer you know what gozer's capable of and what their game is but i don't know it just felt like oh they're in the pit keep the pit at bay oh the machinery got broken down and sabotaged well they're coming out of the pit all right we're gonna and there's there's you're in the middle of nowhere so there's not like an immediate threat that you understand gozer could pose because you're like small town middle of nowhere as opposed to largest city in america right i I, if you're gonna do that okay but like i said some of the downstream effects of that i think we're we're lost in that i think some of the stuff too i don't know this may be nitpicky for me is like maybe a little bit out of character but the whole Backstory they give like Ray and Egon and how like the split between them and Egon went off on his own and stole their equipment and went to hide and fight this on his own. Like sort of to your point, Josh, everyone in the town seems to know exactly who Evo Evo Shandor is and how he built this town up from what it was. Right. If the Ghostbusters, any one of them, hear the name Evo Shandor, why would you not investigate that? Right. And I think sort of what they set up for the story is maybe Egon and the guys didn't know that's who was involved with the town. But Egon moved out there, started putting the clues together, found that out. At that point, tried to phone Ray and tell him, and that's the phone conversation that Ray talks about, like, you know, 10 years later, 10 years ago, Egon called me and was rambling on about this stuff. Uh, But I think at that point, maybe the relationship was too broken for Ray to even care or pay attention to. 
But that's the part that feels out of character to me, that I feel like Egon and Ray's relationship as friends was too good and too close for that to come between them. But, like, at that point, if if Egon is still rambling about the end of the world and throws out the name Evo Shandor, if I don't see Ray being like, oh, no, this isn't a problem we deal with. It, like, I'm not going to listen to you. I don't. That part kind of falls apart for me. But I don't know. I mean, the the story sets up beats that it needs to. I think it's predictable, sure. but I also think it it plays the like the way I need it to or the way I want it to. So I, and you know, the the end of the story I think definitely pays off emotionally the way I wanted it to. Like that that I've seen it four times. The the third act of this movie hits me hard every fucking time. Um, and that just comes around to like how well they treated Egon and like Harold Ramis and everything in this movie, um, which I absolutely loved. Like the whole build up with the ghost, like Egon being a ghost in the house, bonding with Phoebe, leading her through his projects, what he's trying to do, like all of that stuff. And again, again, it's predictable. Like you can see it coming from the beginning where she starts interacting with a ghost that we know is him. He's showing her the Ghostbuster stuff, so we know it's him still. And it just builds to finally seeing him at the end with everybody else, and it finally being able to interact with everybody that we could see him. And the, the fact that they made the guy look like, like whoever was standing in, made him look like Harold Ramis. And it didn't look like shit. Like, <laughs> I was afraid that if they did something like that, it was going to look like crap. Like, that maybe they get away with it more because it's more a ghost Egon and not real life Egon, so the the uncanny valley of the facial CG doesn't like break the, you know, pull you out of it as much. I think it definitely works for what they did. It was, and um, I, don't, I don't know if it was the extra like ethereal ghost effect that they, you know, had to put on him. Yeah. That, and I guess, you know, technology is getting better and better. That was one of the best CGI recreations I've ever seen. Maybe the best. Yeah. I'll agree. Like it was, unnerving almost um and, and they said maybe some of those other effects take some of the lighting considerations off where you don't have to have as like sharp edges in the right spot on bone structure like there there might be something there to it right it, it was it was free did did you guys the at least the first time brian in your case were you shocked that that they did that the first time you saw him i i didn't think they would i i was surprised from the trailers i knew the backstory that they had presented that egon was the granddad he had passed i right. was shocked even by the opening that oh yeah they had like a body stand in yes do that i didn't think they were going to have a physical representation of harold ramus on screen at all i agree yeah i the moment that you start to like because when it starts right you see a Mountain in the background with, like, swirly vortex thing at the top of it. And you hear the classic proton sound go off. The stream shoots up from the mountain. And then there's a speeding truck that goes past. And you still don't know who's in the, tr in the truck. And you start to... He's always in shadow. Um, but you can see the rims of the glasses. And suddenly, I'm starting to think, is this Egon? Did mm -hmm. they actually put Egon in the movie? And the more you're following it, it's like, no, no, this is Egon. And at that point, I'm starting to get very giddy because, like you said, I didn't expect it at all. Mm. I really, I thought it was just going to be an off-screen death 
they would refer to Egon. You'd never actually see him. Like they were, it was just going to be handled that way. I didn't think they would give him this much love and attention. And I think the movie, like it's, it's the part of the movie. Like the whole movie is, is how people react to his death and how he, um, comes back around to, to solidify the family at the end. Like there's so much heart and love in this movie. And it culminates in that third act with him that, I, uh, I just fucking love it. <laughs> um, but how, how about you, Andy? Did you like when the, especially once you see like force ghost Egon, um, were you, were you surprised that they, I, I, I was very, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I, I was a little shocked that they would try to do that. Um, because I personally would have been very, and they had to have been very particular about it, but you would have to be so painstakingly uh, pay to the attention to the details on him to make him good that people wouldn't be like, he sucks, you know, <laughs> yeah. or, or like, you know, like whenever they try to bring back people that are dead in, into movies, mm -hmm. just like it's it's people are always like shaming them for doing so. You yeah. know? Right. I feel like this is opposite of that like they they really put love into recreating him and once you see him on screen as a ghost i'm like i was waiting for are they going to make him talk right and i'm glad that they didn't i think it worked that much better because they didn't put speaking lines in their form i agree because you also they haven't really and correct me if i'm wrong in the first in the first two movies did they did they ever establish on screen how a a human looking ghost speaks in a regular manner i remember mm, like not the first that i can think of the, the first or the second one the mayor makes a reference to like having a conversation in his apartment uh, right. with someone who died like yes. 80 years before right so there might have been some you know discussion happening but I feel like they're like you get the cab driver in the early movies who's like a rotting corpse. Right. Right. Or you get like a monster type of looking ghost spirit thing, whatever. Um, well, the librarian shushes. And she shushes and then she screams. Yeah. Right. So there's never really like a moment of just talking. So I don't even know if they really establish can ghosts talk. Fair. Yeah. But I, know, I, I agree with you. I think the effect of not worrying about you've already recreated someone who died seven years ago presumably you know the reitman's got in the studio got the permission of the estate to do that and blah 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 um and granted yes they were probably compensated for using his likeness and all that stuff but you know neither here nor there <laughs> um but i like the I, I i like that they they made him look they rendered him as harold ramus at the end of his life yeah in like you know the last 10 years that you saw Harold Ramis in real life. They didn't try to make him look any younger than he would have the last time the guys saw him. Yeah. Or like take, you know, 1985 Harold Ramis and age him up artificially. And that it was just like, that is how Harold Ramis, you know, as far as we all knew from whatever he was like last seen in public. Right. That's what Harold Ramis looked like when he died. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I think you know one of the other things we 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 hit the 
two of the the big three that we usually do. We hit characters, we hit story. Um, just to touch on direction, what do you guys think of uh, Jason Reitman's direction, Andy? I thought he did a good job. I really enjoyed a lot of the shots that he he was able to give us. I specifically enjoyed uh, the opening sequence. Yeah, I I loved like the the mountain shot and like coming through the gate and like that whole sequence just had this air of just like creepiness and like a bunch of like what the fuck moments that that really sort of like entranced me into the movie. I really enjoyed a, a lot of yeah. A lot of those shots. <laughs> that part you know? with, like, the invisible ghost, like, you see him bust through the gate, and the camera sits there, and then, like, you hear it come through, and the dust kicks up, and you're like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. And the yeah. specific shot that's still kind of, like, it's definitely CG, but it still blends so well with what's there is when he's sitting in the chair, and the fog comes down the chimney, and the demon dog thing stands up behind him in the smoke and then disappears. Like, yeah. the dry ice stuff on the floor, real. The the ghost that's that's part of the smoke, that's all CG, but it blends so nicely together that I'm like, how the fuck did they do this? But that that visual itself is like, holy shit, that's fucking cool. Yeah. And and I feel like he really did a good job of um choosing like really awesome like backgrounds to, to what was happening in the scenes. Yeah. If, if that makes any sense. Oh, and I'll, I'll bet, I mean, I, I enjoyed the change of setting and I'll bet that made it a million times cheaper to shoot this movie. <laughs> Seriously. You well, don't, it's... you don't have to worry about as much permitting and traffic control and disruption of a city environment. You don't have to worry about as much soundstage stuff to create a city vibe and whatnot. You just go out in the middle of the fields. There, there are two parts of the like. I overall really like the direction. I think, like Andy was saying, the opening sequence I think is by far one of my favorite things. Um, there are some other shots that he does really well. I think Jason Reitman hasn't really directed action before, like he's mostly an indie director. Um, so having a car chase in the middle of the movie is something that I've heard him say he had never done a car chase before, and I think that whole sequence works really well and has some really yeah. cool visuals in it. Very cool. It, it helps um, that he's directing the idea of erratic uh fly on the moment teenagers and kids yeah so any disconnect in in a way that this just seems like irrational choices or wobbly ish you know it's like that could be expressed through the circumstances yeah um the the nitpicky stuff for me is like the again i think i've mentioned it before but sort of like the sound stagey part of it like the 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 climax of the movie that takes place at the farm in the dark, that whole thing just feels very soundstagey to me and kind of pulls me out of it. And inside the cave, when Gozer's like uh, steps pull out and they're in the cave trying to get uh, their mom back, that whole thing just starts pulling me out and feels very soundstagey there. Like I, I understand it's probably budget constraints and stuff like that, but having the big openness, like Josh was saying, of this this little town. And then suddenly you're confined into a little cave that just feels very claustrophobic. I don't it I don't know. A little bit of that just pulled me out of it. Um But yeah, I, I overall I think he did a really good job. I think I think it in certain places like that, I think it falls short in maybe like spectacle a little bit, but I think the movie, you know, makes up for it with so much heart and soul of like 
being shot by a Ghostbusters fan. Like it's just done with such love and care that it it works so well for me. I I definitely I like the choices of how the shots were framed. I love the aesthetic. Yeah. Of the movie, the 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 the, the settings, the colors, the the cinematography on the movie is top notch. Um, yeah. Find out who that who did it real quick. It was cinematography Eric Steelberg. So go Eric Steelberg. <laughs> that was that was a good choice. Um, I'll also give um props to the co-writer uh, on the screenplay with Jason uh, Gill Kennan. So you click on this guy, and I'm like, how did this guy not work more? He doesn't have that much on his credit. His main first thing that he has, he directed the animated movie Monster House. I freaking love that movie. Yeah, that's a good one. I saw that in theaters when I was in my 20s. I bought it on DVD later. I I watch it almost every Halloween. I freaking love that movie. (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh my god, it's so good. If if you don't see it by the next time I see you, you can borrow it. It, (laughs) It's so, it's so good. It's the the animated one, right? Where, yeah. Like the 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 house is actually a monster. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I I caught it a couple of years ago, Andy streaming somewhere. So check check the services. I think it's it might still be hanging out somewhere. Uh, uh my our list of things to watch is so long that I don't know that Monster <laughs> House is really going to make it to any sort anywhere sort of close to the top of that queue. Well, you have until next but Halloween apparently. After, to, to after fit it in you your watch schedule. it, you're going to kick yourself and say, "Why didn't I watch this 15 years ago?" <laughs> Okay. Let alone last week, let alone yesterday. <laughs> I'll I'll see if I can remember to watch it next Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, unfortunately, like, the guy doesn't have that much else on it. Like, maybe he does other things in the industry, but he directed City of Ember, which I think actually, was that with Bill Murray? Uh, Bill Murray was in that, I think. Um, which I never saw. Um, he directed the Poltergeist remake, which I never got around to seeing yet. Um, and then he's a co-writer on Ghostbusters. And then uh, a, a writer and the director of a Netflix movie that I just saw available yesterday. Um, it's like one of their new Netflix original Christmas movies this year. It's called A, a Boy Called Christmas. Oh, I did see the title oh. for that. So it's coincidence on the timing of having come across <laughs> that. But um, yeah, unfortunately, he doesn't have that much on, on his like writing and producing and directing resume, which is sad given Monster House. Um but I, 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 in general, the story, the, the character development for the first two thirds of this movie is phenomenal. Yeah, I will absolutely give them that, and and bring, you know, Jason bringing that to the screen and knowing how to set up all those moments definitely worked out. Like, it, it, like all those interactions that you get with Phoebe and um, Gruberson in summer school. Yeah. You know, even beforehand. Um, and then as their sort of common interests come to light, it it, it, it all just works. And, and as each character has a reason to become acquainted with the others and the circumstances that bring them there, it it works. So a question maybe to pose to you guys, because I, I feel like I fall somewhere in the middle and I don't know if I'd swing one or the one way or the other, but the... First two Ghostbusters, probably even 2016 Ghostbusters, I think are billed as comedies. Would you call this a comedy or a drama? Because I think it's probably billed as a comedy, but I don't think this is over-the-top funny like the other ones are, and I think this takes Ghostbusting a lot more seriously 
than any of the other previous movies did, which I feel like, and it, you know, the third, the whole third act of the movie, I think very much lend itself to drama. Well, so see, I, I think we've had this. I never had any called. I never called the first two really like over the top comedy. I think I think they rely more on comedy than anything else for those movies. I, like I think the the movie moves just because the guys are playing off each other the whole time. I mean, they have jokes, but like I think they take things pretty seriously. Like not much is funny when they're doing a lot of the big stuff. Okay. I, the, I mean, I guess, my, my, I guess, yeah. like my film, some of it is, some of it is funny. I guess, like you know, like next time someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. You know, like I guess there are some funny parts to it, but I don't think generally, like the tone is pretty serious. When that, I think, well, I think it takes the the scary and spookiness seriously. I don't, I don't, I guess. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it, but like even even when they're busting ghosts, like the three, the four of them are playing off each other. I think for laughs, and I think it's that's how it gets built as a comedy. And a lot of the ghost busting, I think, in this movie, there's not too many jokes happening when the ghost busting is happening, and that's where I, I st- feel like they this movie takes a little bit more seriously. Okay, I, iconically though, if you look at the actors that played the Ghostbusters in the original ones, are all comedic actors. So right. maybe, like that's just, you know, Dan Aykroyd, you know, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray just riffing off each other. And that's you know? why I'm I'm sort of leaning towards these movies were made differently. Oh yeah, I I would agree with that a hundred percent. I I think the 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 way that you get people to in 1984 to sell a movie and to market a movie and get people to come to a movie called Ghostbusters is by putting funny people in it. Yeah. Because at its heart, and I don't know if we've had this conversation in the past, but at its heart, Ghostbusters is a horror and it's maybe sci-fi at best. It, 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 I, I, it's, I was going to say a minute ago, like my inner like film, snob might come out on this <laughs> i i don't consider either of them comedies okay like primarily that is not the first genre i would say that they are sci-fi horror that has comedic actors in the roles but okay. I, I i there's not one laugh line in either of the first two movies that i could point to and say oh yep i see that is a joke setup that is how you write a joke set up into a script and then it pays off. <laughs> it's just the moments that they write. It's the dialogue for the characters. It's the personality of the characters involved. But right. the situations are absolutely straight out horror. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you that. And so, and, and I still agree that, yeah, I think the approach to making these was different in a certain regard. But to your point earlier, like, why why is the triangle joke funny because it also harkens to the personality that Harold Ramis created in the character of Egon Spengler yeah but it's not funny in and of itself cuz you're watching a comedy called the ghostbusters with this little girl making a triangle joke right okay um and and maybe like going back to way in our earlier conversation that's like a probably a big cliff that the 2016 reboot fell off it was a comedy 
Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. yeah, everything. It, it was a comedy was first and Ghostbusters second. What oh, I yeah. want is Ghostbusters first and some lighthearted comedy like lines and stuff, which I feel like the first two and this one really deliver on. Like well, I, I think I, I feel like you could make the same argument with some. Like it's the difference between Marvel movies and DC movies. At the core, they're basically the same thing, but Marvel movies are comedies hidden inside action fantasy sci-fi dc doesn't have comedy right but otherwise they're the exact same thing i see ghostbusters in the same way it's comedy wrapped up inside sci-fi fantasy horror okay all right yeah i'll buy that um and do you have anything else to add for that are you good I feel I can't tell if you want to rebuttal or not. Um so they they are different. Um and I, I it it just might have to do with like who was in the roles that yeah. were, you know, cuz it, it it's hard not to like laugh when you see Bill Murray just cuz you you know what he's all about, what he does, you know, and and like him and Harold Ramis were in like stripes together and, and like a bunch of other movies. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's hard not to just see their relationship and be like, ha, 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 that's funny. You know? So <laughs> that's what I think like sort of Josh was saying is like the, the, you could throw those guys into any movie. It doesn't have to be ghostbusters. So people would see it. Right. And then it, it gained popularity just because of people going to see it based on those guys being in it. And this one, you know, we're looking at, 30 some years of of Ghostbusters fandom and lore and I feel like you you have to treat it differently it's not just like putting funny people in a movie and saying oh they're gonna go see it like I think people are seeing this now because it's Ghostbusters not necessarily because of the cast but because it's a Ghostbusters movie which is a flip from the way it was back then right granted yeah good point like I, very I, good point. I, I think obviously the 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 first movie was, was like Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd's idea, right? Yes, at least Aykroyd's, right? Yeah. So that's where so it came from those minds and from the people who ended up starring in the movie and whatnot. So it's not like other people created this and shoehorned comedic actors into the roles as a strategy necessarily. But at the core, you you could have made the first Ghostbusters with a completely different group of people that would not have been able to deliver that kind of tone or just that, like even the intention is not to give that kind of tone. And you still could have made that movie. It just might have been less enjoyable and less interesting. Yeah. Like the, the, the comedy was the icing on top for me for what was already a just a cool idea and like a fun, scaryish movie that the, the kid version of me could handle. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the I feel like the making of Ghostbusters is just a fun thing to hear about. Like, you know, they they hit this story, they try to pitch it. Uh, they go to somebody at Sony. I think it's Ivan Reitman. I don't know if he's there by himself or with other people, but pitches the idea of Ghostbusters to somebody at Sony. They need a summer release. It's like February or like you know, uh, fall time or something like that. So they basically had like five months to get a movie together and he just ballparked like, I don't know, five, $10 million. And they go, okay, make it, have it for the summer. (laughs) 
and at this point, like they don't know if Bill Murray is going to show up. They don't have a script. Like it's it's the mo- it sounds like the most rushed fucking production ever, and yet we get Ghostbusters out of it. Like how the hell does that series of events of events happen? Oh yeah, it, you would have figured that they would have spent like three years on that, or crashed and burned in five months if they have to make a movie or whatever it is. Like that, like under a year to make a movie is insane. Um, Andy, I know you're a soundtrack guy. What did you think of the soundtrack for this movie? I uh, I enjoyed it. It had the same like overtones as um like the like in Ghostbusters they have they have overtones for when there's like when something spooky is happening. They have overtones when like something funny is happening. You know they they have they have these um sequences of of music where y- you know what's going to happen before it happens you know like this oh we're going to figure something out here oh like something spooky is happening or and like there's going to be a revelation here or like this is a funny this is going to be a funny scene because they're playing like that sort of goofy like ghostbusters music you yeah. know and like they have the eerie noise and like it just i think they they did it in a way that i exactly remember you know i think they paid homage to the first two in such an awesome way yeah the the original uh composer for ghostbusters one was elmer bernstein and his score is what i think of when i think of ghostbusters like the the creepy but light-hearted tones that that score hits is awesome and i i even if you go back and watch the first teaser trailer for afterlife that i i mentioned earlier that was even before it was called afterlife um they put some of that soundtrack in the trailer. And I think it's just to be like, Hey, we're setting the tone. This is what it's what the feel of this movie is going to be. And you, I was never sure how far into that they were going to go, but the guy that did the score for this one, Rob Simonson pulls so many Elmer Bernstein themes from the first ghostbusters and repurposes them here that I, I have been listening to the soundtrack on repeat for the last two weeks. I fucking love it. Like, <laughs> really? Yes. Now is that, does that include like the songs as well? Or uh, it's all the Rob Simonson one is all the score, the score. Okay. So there's no like have... Ghostbusters theme from Ray Parker Jr. on there or not. I don't know if they did like an actual soundtrack with like a music, from... music. Like, okay. Um, I actually haven't looked for that. This was the one I wanted to listen to and I found it and I've just been listening to nothing but that on Spotify. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, like I, it, it's hard to tell like what Simonson really brought to the score. That's not. Elmer Bernstein's because that's the stuff I noticed is all the stuff from the original Ghostbusters but I think it's woven so well into the movie that I I think the sign of a good soundtrack and John Williams music always does this to me too is listening to the songs you can picture what is happening in the movie as they're playing and this soundtrack does that for me I can listen to it and be like okay this is this part of the movie that's what's happening here like that's the stuff that hits me and just kind of you know lives rent free in my brain uh, for a while uh, Josh, I don't know. How do you feel about the soundtrack? I don't know if it, if you know, you weren't as invested in the original Ghostbuster soundtrack as maybe Mandy and I were. So I don't know if that hits you as hard. But what do you think? Um, I, mean, I definitely picked up on a lot of the stuff you're talking about. I, I liked that there was, like, only when it made sense did it seem like they just overtly repeated, you know, long sections of of reused music. Yeah. In other parts, you get like a bar of like what is the hook of one particular piece of uh like one of the main themes or something and you'll like get that as a flutter and then it goes away 
but it's so well integrated into the rest of the music that your brain registers it and then it moves on with the with the rest of the scene and the rest of the music that uh, like it just hits the happy button for a moment <laughs> um i would definitely like like for, for the I, I one of the main big reasons that i would like to go see it again is as andy said earlier like yes like try to see this again while it's in theaters if i can do that i will yeah um is for the music i actually I'll go. kind of remember <laughs> <laughs> i kind of remember enjoying that at the time and like being actively aware of that you know so so much unfortunately to composers you know but maybe that's also the mark of like a good filmmaker that like you you can't your your brain is taking in the music but you're not entirely noticing it separately from everything else at the moment but i don't, yeah. I don't know which side to fall back on there but um the music stood out to me i remember and unfortunately i it stood out to me while I was watching it, but I didn't retain a lot of it, if that makes sense. Okay. So I would like to see it again in the theater environment to experience that again. Um, and then on a second watch, yeah, I can hopefully, you know, really log it away there in the music part of the brain. I mean, I will admit it's definitely something I was actively listening for because mm-hmm. I wanted to see how much of like the OG soundtrack they were going to bring in. And I was very happy with what they used and what they what they repurposed for this one. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? I think we hit most of my stuff. I have one or two other things to touch on, but I want to make sure you guys get in here with whatever else you got before we try to wind down with like the the post and mid credit scenes, and then we'll end with a rating. I, uh, anything I else just, for you guys? I just have one, but if Andy has something to bring up, please uh, go first. Um, no, I don't. Nothing off the top of my head that I don't think we've already discussed. Okay, Josh. Um, well, actually, real quick, since I'm looking at the soundtrack credits right now, I guess I'll point out, since we kind of blew up on McKenna Grace before and her acting, uh, Sarah noticed this when we were at the theater. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. She has an original song on the soundtrack for this movie written by her and someone else and performed by McKenna Grace. It's called Haunted House. It's the first song, I think, that plays when the credits roll. Okay. Yeah, I definitely don't remember that. Yeah. Now that you say that, I do remember seeing that part of the, <laughs> the credits. Uh, but apparently, she she's multifaceted. She's a songwriter <laughs> and performer as well. Um, yeah. The only other point I was gonna mention is that uh, I don't know why it's, and maybe this is the conjecture. So I am I, I. This is the conclusion I've come to. It feels like they deliberately went out of their way to avoid all reference to Ghostbusters 2. I was going to bring that up. That was one of the things I wanted to bring up. <laughs> um, which they didn't need to. I don't think there's any matter of continuity that you have to make sure you tag on to for any of this to make sense. I, you, you you don't have to avoid it whatsoever. Now, that the conjecture part is I'm I'm coming to that conclusion based on its complete absence. So I'm I'm therefore assuming it was a deliberate choice to avoid it because there was no reason not to acknowledge it. Um, and, and if anything, like all those moments where, you know, Paul Rudd's character is trying to bring the kids up to speed and tell them about the lore and the background of the Ghostbusters. And as, you know, they learn more about their grandfather, like wouldn't it have only strengthened those parts for there to be more to talk about, more to learn, more to see? 
Um, and it wouldn't take more than three seconds. You know, like they're going through the, the YouTube clips on things. Okay, there's New York. Well, there's um, there's Gozer. And then, you know, oh, a few years later, they popped up again. And, you know, I mean, Brian, you brought up before offline the, the freaking Statue of Liberty problem. But yeah, that's the biggest thing. Even me. even aside from that, like the other incident with, you know, the city going mad and the, the museum getting like it doesn't take all you literally need is screenshots of things happening in the background. Just yeah. to acknowledge that it's part of what's happening. It, it was so strange that they didn't to me. It was one of those things where they, after they the didn't. F- Sorry, go ahead, Andy. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you can go. Go ahead. Um, no, I was just going to say, like, after the first viewing, I think that was one of the things that stuck out to me was that when they go through the cave and they have the dates on the wall and they show 1984 and then it goes to 2021, I was like, well, where's 1989? Like, Vigo was supposed to end the world on New Year's Eve in 1989. So I feel like that should have been a world-ending event that should have been on there. And like Josh said, my biggest gripe was like the fucking Statue of Liberty walks down Main Street, <laughs> New York, and no one talks about that. Like, how is that something that people avoid? Like to to what Josh said, it could very easily just been like the the up next video on the YouTube links that they were looking at. You don't have to watch the video; just show me that it's something that's going to come up in their search results and leave it there. That's fine. And I think sort of when Josh and I were talking off air that like. The only reason we sort of see that it makes sense that it's not there is because this movie is so focused on the events and antagonist of the first movie that it may get distracting maybe somehow if they include a villain and plot points from Ghostbusters 2 because it has no bearing on what's going on in the movie. So I can understand why they didn't put it in, but as like Ghostbusters canon and lore is concerned, for continuity purposes, I would have liked to have seen it acknowledged somewhere considering it it's hard to ignore the goddamn Statue of Liberty. Did we, did it we was, miss it? Where not, was it? Just not, just not, just not in the ways that you were speaking of. Okay. All right. Hit us. They, um, Ray was not established as having his occult bookshop until Ghostbusters two. Fair. Oh. And okay. You see him talking to McKenna Grace from his occult bookshop. Sure. But I also feel like that's small potatoes, considering they're ignoring the world-ending event. That would have happened. The, yes, that they movie. are ignoring the world-ending <laughs> events, but it's not like they're not having callbacks to things that happen in Ghostbusters Two. Okay, fair. Yeah. So they're not, they're not they're not saying fuck that it doesn't exist. Sure, they're just they're just not hitting the very big things that happened in it. Probably because like what you said, it it, it could cause confusion as to like what is actually happening in the movie at that right. Time. Yeah, I guess just so, from from my perspective, I feel like as soon as they mentioned like, "Hey, these are the group of guys that blew the building up in downtown New York and blew the roof off to save the world." How is the next sentence not, "Oh, and they also walked the Statue of Liberty down the street to break into a museum and also save the world and then move on?" But I digress. <laughs> and yeah, those are so both I, valid. I, so, um, I, I can't. What's it called when you sort of like walk back things that happened Retcon. in previous? retcon yeah so i've 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 talked to people who said that 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 like this movie sort of retcons number two and and like i feel Mm -hmm. like i wouldn't go that far it wasn't retcon at all it was just mostly ignored yeah i guess omission isn't like yeah we're not thinking it's it doesn't exist we're thinking they just deliberately left out details they didn't fully omit it because i feel like like what I said, like raise occult books. Yeah, yeah. Like wouldn't exist if not for Ghostbusters too. Yeah, excellent. Point. Uh, 
and um, just to probably try to prevent any sort of confusion as to what threat was happening, they probably had to keep out, you know, like that all that other stuff. Yeah, and, and Brian brought this up to me before that, like, once we started down this path, as he was saying earlier, you know, what would be the next thing that occurs in this in this universe, and maybe if you unfortunately just acknowledge but if, if you've already emphasized um threat from movie one is threat again in uh i don't even know what to call movies like this it's not really a reboot but it's a, well it's a reboot it's not a remake it's let's say it's a reboot so if they acknowledge more strongly the actual threat from the original second one are they putting them themselves in a position where people then expect Okay, so is the sequel to the reboot going to then further the story of the other antagonist that we previously saw as well? Like, I wouldn't think that. I wouldn't care. But maybe they were worried about th just the way that 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 uh, film media writes about things and looks for anything to create an article about that day. Um, maybe they didn't want to didn't want to put themselves in that position of anybody even having the possible yeah, fodder it... for it. It sort of pigeonholes them into making the second one be about the second antagonist. Like the fourth, I guess the fourth one about the second antagonist. Right. Reminds me of the uh, the line of dialogue from Ghostbusters 2 where they're talking about Vigo and they go, well, just before his head died, uh, death is but a door, time mm -hmm. is but a window, I'll be back. Rock. Yeah. But then he exploded, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Still, like, I would love to see that the painting of the guys hanging somewhere. Like, where is that painting at right now? <laughs> oh, yeah. So so they could have deliberately omitted all of the big stuff that happened from the second movie because that may be something we get in the fourth movie, which I, I'm hoping happens. I, I, and I think they've announced. I, I feel like they've talked about, like, I've seen stuff talking about, like, Jason Reitman having ideas for a sequel. But that's okay. as far as they've gone. So the best thing that I can come up with is it has something to do with the deleted scene that they show as part of the... Um, the stinger? The stinger, thank you. I could. I was going to call it a kicker, and that wasn't like it. Um, <laughs> the stinger, it, it has to do with like the, the, um, the trade coin that Janine gives Egon. You think there's some significance the world, the to that? World, the world, the world fair coin. Why would they show us that if not? I feel like that was just a connective tissue to set up this. I don't know. Segue to Janine. See, like, I, I feel like they're gonna pull that string along with who Egon was actually married to, who like the grandmother is in the second one. Well, doesn't she knows her mom? Does she? I mean, I, I'm, I'm presuming that like she kind of said like, Dad was a horrible father and wasn't fa and did a bad job and left us because he was crazy and blah blah blah. I feel like never, they didn't she, mention anything at all about the mom. They they didn't, but I I'm, again conjecture taking for granted that since they then didn't say. And so we had to be raised by our grandparents or we were in foster care that they were then mostly from that point raised by a single mom. Could be wrong since they since it wasn't explicitly laid out. It could go different ways. I mean, we also don't know, I guess, right now if the mom is 
dead or alive. Right. Well, so uh, t- so, tell me where your mind's going, Andy. Do you think there's a, a logical conclusion that they're already laying the breadcrumbs for? Yes, I, I, I feel like the om- the omission of both like the 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 big bad in Ghostbusters two and the the grandmother figure like Egon's spouse mm-hmm. or mate, if not spouse, um, could be entangled in in what happens in maybe Ghostbusters 4. Fair. Okay. I I kind of forgot about I the I feel like they it they're they're very fine threads and, <laughs> but I think they if they wrote it correctly they could pull at them to get some sort of well, threat and, you know, plot points for for a, a next one. Yeah. I guess just playing devil's advocate, I feel like if they if they wanted to spin that in the sequel, they would have laid more breadcrumbs in this one. Like at least a name of the mother or something or a picture or But they also went through great lengths to not let us know that this movie was even happening before they had like a somewhat of a trailer right, for it. Right. So this would fit their MO. Maybe. I think I think I'm harder to convince on this one though. <laughs> I, 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 it's just conjecture. I yeah, mean, yeah. Like, they could do it. In my mind, they could do it if they wanted to. Well, let's all right. So let's spin to the 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 post credit scene. Is the one you're talking about? So we get the the clip of of, which is a deleted scene from Ghostbusters. It's on some of the Blu-rays and stuff as a deleted scene. Um. Where they're ready to go up and fight Gozer on the t- on the top of the building. Janine gives Egon a lucky coin. He tells her not to take it, or not to. He's not going to take it because they might not be coming back. Which I think is just pitch perfect deadpan delivery for Harold Ramis. Like you know, this is important to you. Don't give it to me because I might I might die and keep it. Um, to which she says she has another one. They hug. Cut to present day. Janine's holding her coin. She's talking to Winston, who has done very well for himself. Um. And talks about, you know, Winston seems to talk about like almost funding and keeping a legacy going of presumably the Ghostbusters. Because we see as he's voicing over, cut to the firehouse, which has supposedly been sold. Um, and he wheels in Ecto-1. He mentions earlier in the movie that he was going to fix it up. And we end with a pan in the basement where we see the containment unit which is beeping and there's something some kind of noise going on there and then fade to black. So presumably if I'm if I'm going to speculate Winston is going to fund the Ghostbusters business uh looks like based out of New York again like they're going to open up the firehouse. I don't know what's sitting in the containment unit but something seems to be pointing in that direction to saying this could be setting up a sequel. I mean, that's as far as I got, but what do you guys think? In my head, I expanded on it to the lengths that I've already said <laughs> uh, to, to like, yeah. So I, I agree with all of what you just said, but I, in my head, like I built it out to include like the grandmother and potentially, uh, Vigo. Well, the other thing that's kind of funny is like, the you know, if, if if the if the Ghostbusters business kicks back up again and they start basing it on New York and we want to follow this same cast of characters, are they going to have to have a time jump 
or are they going to hire these kids at 15 years old and say, okay, now you're a Ghostbuster? Like, how is that going to work? I, I mean, he's his character is close. Well, what does he say? He actually lied, and he's he says his character he's, is 15. He's no, he says he's 17, but he's actually 15. he's actually 15, right? Um, and they tell Phoebe she's 12. I mean, Phoebe's freaking smart enough already. She's one of those kids. Like, give her the GED now. She can start <laughs> going to college. I'm just thinking, is there some sort of, like, legal thing going on if you hire underage kids to then bust ghosts with an unlicensed but, nuclear accelerator? So, but, but, but if it's, but if it's a, like, isn't there, like, some sort of a, a law that if it's, like, a family business, they can work younger? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I think there is. Um, and if, like, uh, let's just say, let's throw some conjecture out there. Let's just say, like, Paul Rudd and, and the mom, like, get together like let's say they get married so they're like a family uh those two could be like the two like lead ghostbusters and then they would have the four kids is sort of like their i mean i'd still love the og guys to come back if bill marty doesn't want to do it fine we'll say vankman's had enough he's going back to his marketing thing but i think ray and winston for sure will be in the sequel in mentor capacity yeah for sure like i think i think they need to more or less, I guess, have the role, I guess, I envisioned for this movie, which is, like, they're in the firehouse, sort of running the business, showing these kids the ropes. Whether they go out with them or not to, to bust goats and do the business, that's, you know, you can they can decide that in the story. But I do think they need to be at the fire, her, fire firehouse working with them. At the very least, like, Ray could uh, I don't, be I don't making new tech and stuff. Have, I don't know that they have to be at the firehouse. I could see Ray being, like the um oh, what's the book that he was always referencing the the spirit guide to, Tobin spirit guide yeah Tobin spirit guide like he could still be at Ray's occult bookstore you know and just be like the, the research guy yeah okay and then you know like Winston could be at his corporate headquarters like being the the financing guy you know yeah, he's he's like, the benefactor and yeah yeah someone else is the GM Okay. All right. Like and then like they did they discover like a ghost or something that's happening like hey Ray, do you know anything about anything in, in in any of your like occult literature that could reference this and he's like, "You know what? That actually does sound familiar. Let me look yeah. it up." And I mean, so, don't and don't forget Ray does have a scientific background. Right? Yeah. He's he is a scientist as well. So they could also, you know, actually pull technical expertise from him as well. Um do you think even if they relocate, like, I don't know if I see, if they continue with, the, like, specifically, like, some of these kid characters, these ones. Number one, I don't know if they automatically upend them and relocate them to New York. I could see them, like, maybe not sticking around shithole Wyoming or wherever they were. Right, right. But I don't know if they do that. But if they do, I don't know if you make the next movie. Like, you've established these kids are, like, 12 and 15 there's no matter of time jump you're going to get me to believe that all of a sudden McKenna Grace's character, even though she's like 16 in her life, that her character is all of a sudden like 19 years old. Yeah. So you still have to keep her at, depending on how quickly they get a sequel made, like 14 to 15, maybe, depending on what they want to do. Then, yeah. you know, Finn's character is on the cusp of just graduated high school or something like that if they do that. I don't know if I would really enjoy throwing a group of teenagers into a city environment. 
right. and like, all right, call the Ghostbusters and they're going out. Like, I think they could serve some other role where sometimes maybe they're not always the frontline people. But like, well, I also... she, she's a genius. So she's doing a lot of what Egon did at yeah. the station and doing the tech research and managing the containment unit and doing all that. I don't know if I see her as the first responder anymore. Okay. Um, I mean, the other option, too, is I think the, the, the video game hinted at this, and I think the comic books did the same thing, where the ghost busting becomes a franchise. Okay. So it's not just – and they – I don't – it's hard to tell with Bill Murray if it's something that they're going to go with or if it's just a one-off riff from him. But he specifically tells Phoebe, hey, we're from the home office, which would theoretically be New York. And then they branch out, and there's different sects of ghost busting groups across the country across the world whatever you want to do i guess it depends how much winston wants to fund but theoretically you could have the midwest group you could have a west coast group you could have an east coast group and then you know cover the country that way so they could theoretically stay where they're at and just be that section of the ghost busting crew if they wanted to go that way true i mean does that put them into the problem of having to establish and reintroduce a brand new team again which I guess they could do if they wanted to, like the cast could build, but I don't know how much you, if if the, I still think the focus needs to be on, on the, the cast of characters we've met in this movie. But I mean, like if you wanted to add cameos for people, they could just pop in and just be like, oh yeah, we're from the East coast or, you know, we're from the, you know, New York office or whatever you want to do. I don't, I don't know if we need to get invested as much with those characters more than a cameo role. But again, like you said, that's it's a lot of stuff to try to introduce in one movie if they want to do it that way. Yeah, I think so it probably Andy, works better with a tighter, smaller team. And, but and I, I think it goes to the problem that Andy pointed out earlier, where if you're trying to establish your antagonist and your protagonists all in the same right. stretch, one of them is going to suffer. Yeah. So if they start over again, then they're back to square one with having to right. choose between that. But again, but maybe, who knows, if they sort of recycle the Vigo threat, you know, as he was suggesting, in the way that you didn't have to really spend that much time setting up Gozer in this reboot. Right. You, you can kind of do the same thing in a sequel. You just give the time that you need to to reestablishing Vigo, and you can spend more time on the rest of the team. I guess this is just my my hope. I'm kind of hoping they again. I'm gonna keep using Last Jedi as the comparison that they they do something different. I want a new villain. I want some sort of new scenario. Um, I think one thing that I thought the 2016 Ghostbusters did well that was part of the plot was that it wasn't some natural occurrence or some end of the world event that was going to happen. It was someone causing the ghost events. I liked that twist of a story. Um, I wouldn't mind if they did something like that that they have to sort of deal with. Uh, but yeah, I'd like, I'd like to see them try to do something different and not rely so much on the, on the familiar, I think. And if they do the sequel, the and problem I with the, the 2016 like antagonist was that there was, there was no, they didn't establish why he was doing the things that he was doing. Oh yeah. It was very stereotypical nerd being stepped on by everybody else. So I hate everybody and I'm going to kill everybody. Yeah, no, it, it just like, it was, it was so recycled and generic that it just like, they didn't add any sort of depth of character to it that that made any sense or 
any endearment to me towards like said antagonist. Yeah. So it's just like I I kind of wish that they don't do something like that. Well, I mean, the character itself that that they used that was causing all those events, I think, was terrible and like you said, not fleshed out enough for me to care. But I I liked that it wasn't just ghost breaking free again. Like it was, they tried to do something else with it that someone was actually trying to force them out and not just it's just happening. I guess. But either way, I guess, yeah, we'll have to see. Obviously, they're setting something up with the containment unit, so we'll have to see where they go from there. What if, as part of the stuff they have to deal with in the sequel, since they're coming back to New York, and if they're like reestablishing operations, the guy who is the shitty EPA guy from the first one is not like your main threat or antagonist, but he's like framing them for things or trying to like, okay. sabotage what they're doing just because he's so bitter still after 35 40 years that was actually one thing they did with the game that was kind of fun was they brought back william atherton as to play walter peck oh really and as the ghostbusters were ramping up business and causing damages the mayor was getting shit on because like you know the ghostbusters are causing the city all this money so the mayor pr- purpose like made Walter Peck be the oversight for the Ghostbusters where like he's trying to keep them in check so they're not damaging all kinds of city property and they don't give a shit because it's Walter Peck so there was a fun little dynamic between (laughs) that whole thing so that could be a fun something that they do sort of you know cherry pick from the game and say you know what let's that was kind of fun storyline let's use that for the movie that'd be fun in in the game is it definitively finally established whether or not he has a dick or not (laughs) <laughs> I can't remember if they reused that joke or not. I'm trying to remember. Um, so that was the the post credit scene anyway. So mid credit scene, I don't know how much you can really read into this, but we finally get our Sigourney Weaver cameo, um, where she's she's doing doing the shock test to Vankman that he did <laughs> in the original Ghostbusters movie, um, which was just really really fun to see her back. Um, I don't know if I'm reading into it. Uh, she was wearing a wedding ring in that scene, so. I don't know if we're left to assume that her and Peter are married. Um, I actually half expected Oscar to walk into that scene. I thought that would be a fun little nod. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's pretty much all it is. I don't know if you guys have anything to add for that scene. I thought it was fun. Cool to see her back. I I don't know what you can really glean from it, but it was a fun little scene. Yeah. I think it was more like, hey, maybe we were going to get her back, but we ran out of time to shoot her for principal photography or didn't know where to put her. Yeah. So let's just acknowledge that Dana's still around. She exists. This is what's going on. So that was fun. Um, The one thing, one question maybe I'll I'll end with before we get to ratings. Uh, With the, the critic reviews being very mediocre, I think a lot of the stuff that I've seen complaint-wise from the movie is that they feel like it did not do anything different and relies very much on nostalgia and fan service to get people through. And I think people are coming into this expecting something new and different and it doesn't, it relies a lot on the same stuff that, you know, the OG ones did. Uh, I don't know. How do you guys feel about the reliance of fan service? Was it, did it work for you? Was it too much? Did it take away from the movie at all? Any, anything like that? Like the, the, the whole plot of the movie is, is you sort of trying to figure out what happened to Egon right yeah. like like none of that actually happens in any of the other two movies like they they, they the, the characters are pretty well established already 
you know, yeah. like they, they just like come together and figure out how to fight ghosts. You know, these guys are like figuring out what is happening and then sort of like almost get handed like the answers to fight the ghosts. Well, not you know? so much that. So, I think it's it's more like, you know, when it, she's rooting around about... in the in the basement and when Phoebe's rooting around in the basement bunker thing and she finds the jumpsuit, there's a uh, Nestle Crunch candy bar wrapper in there. When they right. open the glove box, there's a Twinkie in there. Like, stuff like that. Like, they're beating you over the head with original Ghostbusters fan service and Easter eggs throughout this whole movie. I, I don't mind it. I, I don't yeah. know why you would you would find it to be, like, a detriment. Okay. I mean, I'm with you. I agree. I love all that shit. So, I am I am not the, the critic that's like, fuck this movie for not, you know, trying to do something different and giving me everything that I've wanted. No, this is, this is what I want. This is great. As, as I explained with my whole gozer issue i i think that was a story mistake but yeah. i i don't i i think this movie is just as good if you take the nestle crunch and twinkie moments out that's right uh, like right. It, to, to say it relies on fan service to get you through i would disagree like 80 percent there's definitely okay. there's definitely built-in moments where like as you go along like oh a trap Oh, a proton pack. Oh, the jumpsuit. Yeah. Oh, they found the car. There's the car. I get that. But the, like I said, I think it's it's the endearment to the characters of those kids, especially the brother and sister, that is really why it's easy to connect to. Yeah. I think like I said, I, I think the moments that these people are bringing up make it makes it up. Not even it makes it better. It enhances a few moments, but it doesn't rely on them whatsoever. Yeah, I I agree. Again, I'm I'm with this movie a hundred percent. Like, there's there, I have nitpicky stuff, but I don't think it it takes away from my enjoyment at all. I I absolutely love this movie. Um, all right, so let's wrap up with ratings out of ten. Um, maybe I'll give you guys a time to think about it because uh. Mike could not make it to this show. He did text me his rating and a little bit of why. So he is giving this movie a 7 out of 10. Mm. Uh, he said it was a good movie, but beyond superficial touches, it didn't feel like Ghostbusters. He said the humor in Ghostbusters was much more adult and intelligent. The humor here was geared much towards a younger audience. Didn't make it a bad movie. He thought it was good. Other than the musical cues, visuals, and reusing the same exact apocalyptic plot, the heart of the movie felt like it took a completely different tone than what he might have expected. And I couldn't get him to elaborate more because then we would have got into a whole Twitter, or not Twitter, <laughs> but uh, text message back and forth. So if we if we need a rebuttal to him and need to get into that, we can try to do that on another episode. But that was where he left me with his rating. Um, Andy, out of 10, what do you give Ghostbusters Afterlife? Uh, out of 10, I think, um, like I said, this is the first movie in a long time where I feel like I need to see it multiple times in the theater. Mm -hmm. and I don't say that about just any kind of movie. So uh, I think that for me, it's an easy 10. Oh, nice. Okay. Wow. And plus, I think the fact that you, you went out opening weekend for this, which you don't typically do either. Right. Correct. So that was a, that was a big move too. Uh, Josh, out of 10, what do you think? Uh, I, I'm actually surprised how, like, in an eerie way, 
how much I think Mike and I are on, on the same wavelength <laughs> on this, and like and like for many of the similar reasons that that he mentioned. Um, maybe the one thing I disagree with on on his is that some of the humor might be geared toward kids, but you can't. You're not going to please the sense of humor in someone 35 to 60 by having teenage characters do certain things that are outside of what it makes sense for teenage characters to do. So when you have teenage characters, the the type of humor, yes, has to be adjusted. So if that's where he's coming at it from, I would disagree with that just i think it's just the nature of the type of people that they wrote for yeah and the type of characters that they wanted to have um they wanted to have teenagers they got to do teenage things um but i if 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 the third act issue and and the whole gozer thing was different or or better executed all through the rest of the storyline this would get much higher for me i again say like this is so freaking watchable that i would see it right now i would watch it next week like there's nothing against it for that reason yeah um uh but for now um i'm gonna same as him i think i'm gonna start with a seven out of ten okay um i think i'm going to end at a 9.5 for me (laughs) i i don't think it's perfect which is what i would give the 10 uh, but I think it's damn near close. Um, it, it, it hits so many levels for me. It's a lot of what I wanted a sequel for Ghost, a proper sequel to Ghostbusters to do. Um, the the nitpicky things for me are like the the again the the statue, the whole Statue of Liberty thing. Like I, I've I've talked to people about this even before the movie came out. It's like how do you ignore that and not talk about it? And they didn't. So that's just one little nitpicky thing for me. Um, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't somewhat underwhelmed that it was Gozer again. I thought it might be some other type of threat. But again, I didn't hate it. I liked what they did with it. I think uh, some of the, especially some of the effects they did with Gozer, like when she's sort of phasing in and out um, in that third act of the movie, and like you can see like the skull through her like phasing body. I thought all the effects for that looked fucking cool as shit. Um, the comedy worked for me. The cast is amazing. Uh, again, this, this movie was done with such love and heart and attention to the, to the Ghostbusters franchise, to Harold Ramis, to Egon. Um, it, it hit me a lot harder than I thought it would. And I expected to cry, but this, this still hit me pretty hard. Um, I, I can't wait to see what they do next. I'm very much looking forward to a sequel. I hope Jason Reitman comes back. I hope that they can grab uh Gil Kennan to to get that writing duo back and see what they do with a with a proper sequel. Um I don't know if I would wish for it sooner rather than later. I just want it to happen. At this point we've waited, you know, 30 some years for Ghostbusters 3. I will wait a little bit longer if I need to if they make it good. But that's where I stand. Um Yeah, I guess that's it. Um so that's it for us. Uh we we have of course talked very long on Ghostbusters. This is probably going to be pushing 245-ish by the time this is all said and done. Uh, so thank you for sticking with us for this long-ass episode because, hey, it's Ghostbusters, and what did you expect? Uh, so if you've enjoyed the show, please support us. Leave a five-star rating and review. Give us a share on social media. You can follow or subscribe to the show. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google, Anchor, Stitcher. Uh, 
this, I think, is episode 245. We are getting ever so closer to 250. Uh, I keep teasing it. We will, again, I, we will probably do something on Twitch, some sort of live broadcast sort of to celebrate. We're leaning towards a top 10 of ours. Uh, at this rate, it's probably going to be sometime in January uh, based on holiday schedule and how what we decide to record between now and then. So <clears throat> we're definitely not going to get to it before the new year. Uh, chances are it'll be sometime I'm going to ballpark mid-January. Uh, we'll, we will keep you posted either way. Check our socials, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, any updates we get, we'll throw out there. Uh, so if you want to find us on Facebook, search Brygana Superfriends. Go to facebook.com slash Uh You can send us questions, comments, comments topics, suggestions there. Uh, any updates we post, again, on the 250 will be there. Uh, check us out on Twitter at BG Superfriends. Again, I'll try to post updates there for what we're doing. Uh, you can try to email us, brightguysuperfriends at gmail.com. I won't post updates there and probably won't respond to emails, but hey, you know, give it your best. Uh, feel Although, free to... If, if you want Brian <laughs> to give you either a, a link or maybe a copy of the file from that uh, episode from five years ago that's no longer on the oh, feeds true. from the 2016 <laughs> review, e email him there. That's the only way you're going to get it. Yeah, at this point, unless I re-upload it for some reason just to fill time. But just, to, which, yeah, just which, to, to give the email address some traffic. That's the only way <laughs> that, I'll, that I'll still forget to, to check out and look <laughs> at. So it'll your request will sit there unanswered for months before I decide to check it again. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's always an option. I thought about doing that before, too, is like some of the ones that have cycled out of rotation, like just uploading it again and just saying re-upload. But, you know, a lot of the stuff we do is at least I try to have it somewhat be topical. So to put up a movie review from like five years ago, I don't know if that's going to fly as much, but... You know, I mean, we are doing a rewind theater watching really old movies. So. <laughs> but true, but th those are recent recordings and viewings, as opposed to just as a rewind theater uploading our review from five years ago and saying this is what we did, and then slapping rewind theater on it. Which I guess I, I could do if we hit any of the same movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at, at least in this case, like it would have definitely been germane. It would have made sense as to why you were doing it. But um, true, yeah, I, I take your point. Yeah, and we didn't actually do an episode last week, so I probably should have did that just to preface. <laughs> Just be like, hey, this is what we thought about the movie back then. Here's what we think about the new one. Well, speaking, uh, of, speaking of Rewind and, and maybe a gap between now and that uh, 250th episode, uh, yeah. what might we have in between over the next couple of weeks? I, mean, I, I presume one of those will probably be a Spider-Man review after that. Yeah, Far From Home is going to have to fit in there somewhere. Um, I, I feel like our, our 250, I'm going to try to bank our favorite movies of the past two years since we didn't do one for 2020. Mm -hmm. So it'd be favorite new releases over 2020, 2021 top 10s. We'll go around the room for that. Uh, we will probably, I would think do top 10 most anticipated for 2022 before mm -hmm. that. Um, if we need to, I guess we could fit in the rewind theater for steel in there. Um, that's what everyone's clamoring for. They really, yeah, I'm they sure they want the two, they want the live stream <laughs> for steel. Uh, ha Hawkeye will probably wrap up something. before or around Christmas, right? So we might be able to fit that in there too. Yeah. Uh, so that should put us somewhere around 250. We might need one or two else in there. Um, I try to leave leave it open, I guess, for any type of current events that happen that are worth talking about. We'll see what kind of news hits over the month of December. Um, I can't think of any other like new release movies that I think are coming out worth talking about other than Spider Man. That are going to be like appropriate to what we do like maybe the kingsman because we matrix kind of mentioned yeah matrix. oh maybe the matrix yeah matrix might be a good one to hit that's right that's a christmas day release 
So yeah, we could yeah we might have to do like Spider Man and then Matrix back to back. That might be the two, somewhere mid December. So yeah, anyway, we're spitballing on the show. We'll you'll see what happens. We'll 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 let you know. It'll just pop up in your feed, and then you can just put it in your ear holes and enjoy it. Yeah, tease tease the ear holes. That's what <laughs> we need to do. Uh, again, for our, for our two fifty, we will probably be streaming on Twitch. So if you would like to be, uh, check us out on there. It's at my Twitch page, which is at Jedi Bry Guy. That's Jedi with an I, Bry with a Y. Check me out on Twitch. So feel free to follow anytime. Uh, I go. Sometimes I play games, so if you want to watch me play some games and stuff too, you can check me out there. Uh, but that's where we will broadcast live whenever we do the live recording. Uh, other than that, that's it for us. On behalf of Andy, Josh, and myself, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Listen, do you smell that? <laughs> <laughs>